In the Pits is sponsored by Hustletown Paintball. Hustletown is a brand by Jason Tinsley of Houston that is all about representing Houston paintball and highlighting its local talent. Head to hustletownpaintball.net to browse their selection of casual wear and use code PIT10 for 10% off of your order. In the Pits is partnered with Compete. Compete is a Texas-based brand by Jell Stewart of professional team AC Diesel that provides custom jerseys, pants, headbands, straps, tech shirts, and any other soft goods to help individuals and teams compete at the highest level. Support Texas Paintball and message Compete on Facebook or Instagram and mention In the Pits podcast for 10% off your entire order. In the Pits is sponsored by FU Athletics, created with a purpose and focused on building a better you. We are a brand that matters in your workout, and every purchase gives back to cancer research. Go to thefuathletics.com and use code INTHEPITS25 for 25% off of your order. In the Pits is partnered with Get That Shot. Get That Shot now offers first-in-line photo and video editing, 20% off Get That Shot merch, and 20% off prints to all teams that wear the Get That Shot logo on their jersey. Message Get That underscore Shot on Facebook or Instagram to become a Get That Shot program team. In the Pits is partnered with Paintball Kumite. Paintball Kumite is a program designed by Colt Roberts of professional team San Antonio X-Factor to take paintball players of all ages, experience levels, and skill groups and mold them into champions. The program breaks the game down into small, easy-to-learn sessions designed to help you master the fundamentals so that you can elevate your game. Newcomers to the program get a free one-hour introductory class when mentioning In the Pits. To sign up for a class, message at paintballkumite on Instagram. Welcome everyone to episode 34 of In the Pits Paintball Podcast. This podcast is focused on everything that has to do with the paintball scene here in Texas, from professional players and teams to new divisional programs, local tournament series, field owners, Texas-based brands, even photographers and videographers. Every week, we'll have a short and sweet episode with a new topic and a new special guest. I'm Christian Smith. I'm a player for the Texas Titans. In this episode, we are going in the pits with Jared Sherman, player for the newest professional team in the NXL, Austin Notorious. Jared, how are you doing this evening? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. Have yourself. Dude, I'm I'm feeling good. This one is one that I've I've long been waiting for this day to be able to say newest member of the NXL Pro Division, Austin Notorious. And especially for you, my friend, I know it's been a long journey that I've gotten to personally witness a lot of, and you've definitely been uh deserving everything, uh everything that's come your way this year. Man, I appreciate that. Uh, it's definitely been a long time coming. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of, a lot of stories, a lot of just obstacles, things, lessons, uh, you know, but everybody's got their own story. Um, I'm just grateful that, uh, you've given me an opportunity and a medium to tell mine. So thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I'm here for. I know that, uh, everybody that's listening in or watching live, uh, they're here for, they're not here for me. They're here for everybody else that, uh, all of the great individuals involved in the Texas scene. And even, you know, the few that I've had that are outside of Texas, but there's just so many stories to tell, uh, that not many people get, uh, what, you know, what I think that a lot of people should have that opportunity to. So I'm just 
here to provide that for more people. So let's go ahead and get started with yours. Uh, for those listening, maybe they don't know so much about you, Jared. How long have you been involved in the Texas paintball scene? Uh, man, on and off for like 20 years or so, 19 years, something like that. Uh, I, I know I may look young, uh, 35. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I, I've been in the mix for a while. I've seen uh, a lot of friends go pro. Uh 99% of them without me, you know, so uh, I, I've gotten to see a perspective of, of this scene that uh, most haven't. So um, I'm just grateful to still be around, though. You know, there's a there's a lot of people that I met through paintball that have, uh, you know, unfortunately not able to play anymore for one reason or another. And um, here we are still trying to build this community, still moving forward, uh, still changing, you know, boys to men uh now young girls to women so it's a it's a great place to be yep especially especially here in texas i mean just being involved for that long period is a feat that not many can say and it's, it's, uh and yeah. now you're doing it at the top level too so definitely a lot to be said about that uh so for all of those years that you've been around what are some of the teams that you've played for over the years okay so I had to take notes and write stuff down, uh, and I know I'm still missing some teams. Um, but my very first team was uh, called Glacier Rush. Um, that was out of uh, constant action. It's kind of a it's a now torn down field, but um, I played with uh, Cody Bayos of X Factor. Um, from there, we went with Mixed Nuts out at Petty Paintball. Um, Petty Paintball is known for some of the uh, older teams like uh, Moxnix, Paintball Mart Factory. Um, Moxnix was like an old Division One team. Uh, the the Petty Paintball folks, uh, Joe Petty, um, Jordan Petty, they were uh, really kind to us. They actually turned an old um, like hangar into a paintball field. It was kind of cool. Uh, after that, I was with Bad Kitty. Bad Kitty is probably one of the more famous local old Texas teams. Uh, I met my, uh, probably my best friend there, uh, Jeremy Zimmerman. Um, OG in the game still mixes it up with diesel. Um, let's see from there, us and uh, zone, the original zone from Houston zone, uh, Brad Hashem, he, I, Jeremy and a bunch of other guys, we kind of combined and, um, we decided to go try to play X-Ball back when you would have kind of two different lines actually running. Um, played with, hate to say it, but like a bunch of druggies uh, with a team called Karma. Uh, kind of same group of folks uh, with another team that originally was the original Dark Horse. Um, since then, that team has kind of moved on and, and had other team, uh, players like some of the guys from Fifth that have joined. Um, and that's way back in the day. Um, ODK, I was Outlaw Destruction Crew. Uh, like one of the original teams from Outlaw Paintball, which is where Austin Notorious practices now. Um, SA Notorious. SA Notorious was the first rendition of Austin Notorious. And I've played with them for, you know, four years or so on and off. Um, I've played the most paintball with Austin Notorious uh, or Notorious in 
general. Um, you know, FSU or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Great X. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk about them. Uh, who else? I-35 All-Stars with you. Um, that was a blast. I mean, we, we took first in that event. Uh, we did the Raw Dogs with you as well. That was fun. A uh, bunch of us old uh, FSU guys. Um, I was rostered for one event with Diesel. Uh, I played with STK for a couple events, and then now with uh, D1 Pro Team Austin Notorious. And that's a that's a lot of different teams over the years, which I'm sure you know people going to the top they rarely stay. They, you know, it's rarely a situation like the Fit.com guys where they just stay all together through the climb all the way up. Uh, yeah, I-35, good times uh, in the moment, maybe not so good times in a in the middle of a hurricane, but yeah, uh, yeah I still it still blows my mind that hey, at the end of it, it was September of 2020, you've got yourself. Paul Huber and Renee all playing in a D4X tournament just to go smash and grab the cash over in Houston, which ended up being yeah. Planet Eclipse vouchers, but you know. Uh, and then uh, then right after that was the Raw Dogs with uh, you, me, British, Dylan, and Paul. Like, all, like, not too long ago, all you guys were hanging out in D4, D3 land, and now, you know, you're the newest pro team, which I think um, not only just speaks to y'all's work ethic over the last couple of years, but also just how freaking tough it is to play in Texas. It is. It is. You know, um, there's definitely some uh, some conversation around the the local um, – local divisional ranks and the local uh, tournaments and how they run their APPA points. And um, it's a, it's a touchy subject, uh, but it gives people an opportunity to grind for as long as they possibly can um, while mixing in, you know, higher range players to not only provide some of that information and kind of like a trickle down effect, uh, which I know that phrase doesn't sound great right now <laughs> via economics, but um it allows the information to basically reach players where it can actually make a, um, you know, some some sort of improvement within uh, younger folks' game. Um, plus, it also allows just the community to kind of come together. I know it gets kind of intimidating, at least from what I've been told, is just trying to talk to somebody that you know uh, you may look up to, um, maybe not in you know stature or life, but just as a competitor. Um, you know, it, it, it's tough for some people to ask for help. And so just having an opportunity where you're kind of forced to talk to uh, younger players or inexperienced players or uh, more experienced players, it, it just, it forces the growth. It forces the growth. Yeah, well, it's it's not easy for sure. I mean, it it's just, it makes uh, Division Four into a complete, like, meat grinder and, you know, it's. I, I would like to see those those teams at the top be forced to move up to Division Three. I think it. I think that overall is going to be better for the scene where you have uh, somewhere for those players to go. Which uh, I know that we talked a lot about on uh, Chris Rangel's episode. Uh, just kind of the state of the league and where uh, it's looking to go in, especially for this season. Now that uh, there's 
more competition as far as the the choices that you have of tournaments to play. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting to see now, especially because like there's teams coming from all over the U.S. to compete in this Bunker Fest League, all the way from Division Five up to D1. So it'll be cool to see more of a gauge on hey where where does texas like compare to the rest of the league and not just like the one or two teams that go play and excel like shout up or trying fit.com notorious uh things like that but i want to see like how does everybody compare yeah well i think it's tough right now because and, and this is just uh slightly different perspective but it's uh you know a, a lot of uh experienced players higher end players they they love when they d rank um, because it means that you know they can go play events maybe with their friends, maybe with their kids, um, you know, or just uh, maybe they got screwed out of uh, you know uh, being able to play because they hopped on a pro team and didn't get any spins, and so they did it for a while, and uh, now all of a sudden they got cut, and so they can't play with anybody. Uh, at the same time, though, it's interesting to see. Like I don't know if you saw that. Uh, you know what Ironman's roster looks like right now on their uh, sunshine. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, I did. It's wild. It's wild to see that caliber of players at whatever division that they're at, you know, knowing that like, okay, sure, you're rusty, but the mind is like, you know, it's not like it it just goes away, especially at that. You know, we're talking, all right, five years, 10 years out of the game, except you're still in the mix, whether you're coaching or you're whatever. I mean, was it all these rank like D2, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, and after a performance at cup and, and whatever. So it, it's kind of tough to make an argument one way or the other, like you want people to outrank, but then all of a sudden you get ranked up to this like larfy middle ground of, uh, you know, you, you end up, the problem with D3 is that like D3 is, is where a lot of people kind of settle out of, um, you know, because that means that they can still play local events, but at the national level, half of them might be pro uh or they might have played you know division one um and when they combine that and it's just a bunch of old old school players you know mixing in um they go out and win stuff you know left and right and it's tough to to make an argument for one or the other but the reality is is um i think younger lower divisional players haven't learned how to practice yet and so they have a tough time trying to get out of division four and division three. And uh, I, I know we'll talk about this a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's a, that's a real issue because you're, you're fighting against people who know the game versus you who are just learning to play at that division. And even at the division three level, when you're coming up from D four to D three, great. You're a top D four team playing D three, but there's other teams that are like top D two teams or mid D two teams that are playing D three because they can because, you know, two or three out of their players uh, that would have played D2 are now D1. And so now they got a few D2 guys left and they can fill the roster spots. So they just bump down to D3 to not uh, get shit on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a reality where you kind of, you start comparing, you know, national and local divisions. And it's it's not a um, an easy answer, but I think that there's definitely some progress that like Bunkerfest is making. Um, and I haven't been able to follow as much of those as I'd like, but uh, looking forward to it. Really, really looking forward to seeing what this uh, next generation of events looks like. 
Yeah, same here. Uh, it's it's definitely an exciting time. There's a lot of new opportunities here in Texas. I mean, you've, you're already seeing uh, lots of different tournament series. Like HTPS has already kicked off. XCPL is obviously already always around. And they've also mm-hmm. got their Mech X-Ball series in full force. So there's just a lot of different playing opportunities in Texas. And it's going to be cool to see. And I know we'll definitely get into uh, this talk about kind of the, the state of like divisions and APPA points and all that in a little bit. Uh, so before we get there, though, uh, tell me about how you first got into paintball. Man, um, you know, rest in peace, my grandfather. Uh, he bought my sister and I uh, these old Brass Eagle, like CO2 cartridge talons, like little pump, that, pump action gray, uh, gray guns um little you know gravity fed hoppers and uh you know bless my sister love her to death even though we argue quite a bit um she was the first person that i ever shot with a paintball gun and uh uh you know i'm um i'm forever grateful for her for uh taking the low ground and me taking the high ground um that was pretty much uh the very very first moment um around eighth grade so like i don't know or seventh grade eighth grade like 2002 2001 somewhere around there um my one of my buddies ended up having a birthday party and uh that was out at uh old now defunct uh constant action field um just to give you an idea this field like this is when like uh sub air and airball just came out and so they didn't have the money to buy an airball field so what they did is they built uh, they built bunkers and they called the field 3D and it was this three dimensional kind of thing where they had like a, a you know a hexagon version of a can um, they would build like a pyramid and call that a Dorito um, you know stuff like that it was very uh, kind of handmade um, but the uh, we end up going out there and uh, you know for this birthday party and I have a blast I remember bringing my talons, uh, my talents, sorry. And then um, realizing I was completely outgunned by the rentals. And uh, so I stopped playing with my talent. I went and got a rental and uh, just fell in love with it. Um, from there, I like talked to my mom and, and told her how much I loved it and that I wanted to go back again and again. And uh, finally, I think like saved up some money for some paint or something. And um, uh, she took me out there again and this was like my first walk on time. There was nobody there. I didn't have any friends out there. Uh, but I, I went and I like, I got bought like this, uh, it was like a black with blue splash piranha. Uh, just shitty mechanical gun. Still have it actually to this day. Um, and that kind of was really the beginning of like, all right, we're going we're gonna to start doing this. Um, uh, you know, my, my, my dad and mom, they didn't, uh they didn't just like pay for my shit they always they always made sure that i worked my ass off for stuff so like when i grew up i was used to mowing lawns you know i'd wake up at like 6 a.m start knocking lawns out at like 6 30 7 o'clock in the morning pissing my neighbors off but i was hustling man like trying to just knock out yards uh you know it'd be like 20 for the front 30 for the back 40 for both um i'd get my sister you know we found like another lawnmower that was busted down my dad fixed it up brought my sister in, paid her 10 bucks. So like she would knock out the back. I knock out the front, you know? And so like, we just started hustling at young ages. And uh, so 
when it came to paintball time, it was like there was no food or drinks out there. It was just kind of like a, I don't know, it was, it almost looked like, uh, now that I think back, like a stable of sorts, um, like for horses and shit. And, uh, my mom ends up going to like Sam's Club, buy a big old box of drinks and, and stuff and start trying to sit out there and, and slang, uh, slang drinks and chips and stuff to try to make enough money to play paintball. And, and I found out you could ref. And I think refing was like, it, I mean, for me and for most kids, it's it's like a rite of passage. Um, it's like it's a job, so you got to be there bright and early. You got to work. Um, you got to deal with with people that you know aren't uh, aren't always the best. Maybe they're drunk, you know, lively, whatever. Um, but for us, it was like you know this wasn't a big field, so if the field didn't make a lot of money that day, well, even if we worked six, eight hours, we still got like, we got a small percentage. There were days where like, I would, I'd be there for six to eight hours and I'd make, you know, half a case of paint. I mean, that's how I was paid. Um, or I'd make 20 bucks and, uh, you know, maybe I'd get a consolation prize of a chopped beef brisket from the gas station down the road, which I still drive by, you know, and see damn near every day. Now I got this other job, but, um, it was different. It was different. Uh, but you know, I met some really good people. I met Grayson Goff through that field. Um, I think that was the first time that I saw Archie Montemayor. Uh, that's like, you know, that place, the old owner, Jack Withers, he actually used to, uh, have a, uh, a shop in, um, somewhere in South Austin off like two ninety, And, uh, they were so good at like tuning autocockers and stuff that, and, Back then, it was the old AKA guns, like the Excaliburs and Vikings. And they would have this uh, Viking that they would take a crunchy Cheeto and they would put it in the breech. And they had it tuned so low that they would just rip on it and it would never break the Cheeto. But then you would drop a paintball in there and shoot it and it'd be like 290. Um, so that was like the camp that I kind of came from. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of OGs that came from there. But uh, respect to constant action. And I mean, when you've got names like Grayson Goff and Archie Montemayor coming out of that uh, same camp, I mean, you're definitely in uh, good company right there. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just working, working your way up as a kid, uh, man. I, I hear all these stories. Like, there's, there's so many that got started as as a kid, um, and then it, like what surprises me, I know we were talking a little bit about it uh, over the weekend. Like Mark Johnson get didn't get started until he was twenty three years old. Um, that's cool. That shit's cool, man. That shows that no matter what age you are, you can still fucking get involved in paintball, and you got to keep that rolling because there's always hope for somebody like Mark Johnson to get involved and change the sport. So absolutely, like, gotta keep fucking playing. That's badass. All right, so we got a quick question in the chat from Josh. Uh, his question is, uh, for, for the story that you just told, uh, would you eat the Cheeto after? Oh, dude, I don't know, man. I don't think they did <laughs> but you know, back then it was like, everything was Dow 33. Like they didn't have all these crazy loops, but you know, probably man, I'd probably eat the Cheeto for the <laughs> right on. as long as hot Cheeto, man, hot Cheetos. Mm-hmm. All right, so this next question uh, comes to us from Hustletown Paintball, which is uh, one of my friends over in Houston, Jason Tinsley. 
uh, head to hustletownpaintball.net, use code PIT10 for 10% off of your order. So throughout your time uh, in the Texas paintball scene, what are some things that have changed in the scene for better or for worse? One of the things that's changed is Austin Notorious has a website, austinnotorious.com. Uh, the biggest thing, man, was fights. Um, back then there was a lot of fights and it's like, I don't know, maybe humanity has matured. Um, maybe it's our sport. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we just didn't know how to handle ourselves, but, um, things were really rough back then. And like, if you watch the, uh, best kids in Texas paintball documentary, I think it's on Amazon prime. Uh, you should definitely go watch it. It's about X Factor. Great, great documentary. Um, you know, they they talk about how bad it was. You know, it, it was just uh, just brutal, man. Um, like stuff carried from the field into the parking lot to the highways. You know, people got ran off the road. Um, you know, uh, everybody was real trigger happy. You know, and um, but you were you were. If you stuck it out, you could stick it out through like anything. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if that's just the way that everybody's raised or whatnot, but uh, that was a big thing. Um, nobody, well, I say nobody. Very few people helped you become better. Um, that's the biggest difference between then and now. Uh, the sport was just evolving back then. And people were learning to play paintball um it, it was like the the tip of the arrow was then i mean and it's always now right living in the moment um but at that moment uh you know x ball was was just becoming speedball was just becoming um so i guess people were learning how to play these things and it wasn't so x's and o's uh they really kept that stuff to themselves you know, because of kind of the, and also the limitations of fields, um, you know, there was just not a lot of opportunity to, to be helped. Um, it, it definitely took a lot of time for information to be learned, be understood, and then get back to like, um, somebody that could digest it and like give it to the rest of the community. Um, it, it was really interesting. Uh, I will say though, there were a lot of people that did help uh, me in particular. Um, Ryan Perez is one of them. He used to play for X Factor. He played for Legacy. Um, he played for Moxnex. Uh, he he helped me learn that your gun can be your bunker, and people don't look at you if you're shooting at them. People don't come out if you're shooting at them. So. You know, he showed me how to play a blind spot or a dead zone. Um, he showed me how to run and gun. Uh, he taught me, you know, it's it's like put people in and move. Use your gun. Um, Colt Roberts was a big one growing up. Still is to this day. Um, Grayson Goff was a big one back then. Uh, Alex Martinez has been like kind of a like – it's been interesting. Um, I tried out for X Factor when I was a kid, didn't make it. So he's always just been somebody that I've like kind of looked up to. Um, 
but somehow like our paths cross randomly, you know, and he's always, anytime they do, he's always there to help. He actually accidentally called me one time, called him back and he straight up told me like, Hey man, uh, didn't mean to call you, but you know what? Um, I believe in God and he brought us together and, uh, what's going on. You know, uh, Alex has always been one of those guys to be there. Um, and, uh, another guy that I highly doubt he's listening to this, but, uh, John McCorkle, man, that dude, he's OG. Uh, he's part of like old Archie Grayson crew. Um, that dude's been really nice, you know? And so, uh, it, it sucks, you know, that, um, one of the things that I remember most about back then was, uh, how much people didn't help you. But fact is, is those like pieces of light in all that darkness they they made you know they were my flashlight to get to here so uh but you know one of the things that's like i guess things that's gotten better um is like stuff like what you're doing these podcasts uh in the pits play the game spick and span paintball nerd um all of them they're they're great because you're you know we had talked about this prior to uh, coming on like you guys are responsible for the storytelling of, you know, hundreds, potentially thousands of years of experience and perspective on the same time period, you know, you're showing stuff from all these different angles. And, uh, you know, that's, that's impressive. Um, most of my learning comes from listening to like three hour podcasts for like a one minute segment. And when you have um, a plethora of that information, you know, your rate of growth just really skyrockets. So I'm forever grateful to you guys, um, you know, the YouTube channels. Uh, and then now currently, like for at least us, and um, our own development, it's been a lot of old pro players, uh, Tyler, um, Ross Saunders, Jesse Stevens, like these guys have, have in their own desire to be better um, and be great at what they do, whether it's, uh, uh, life coach, whether it's somebody on the field, whether it's off the field, um, they always try to instill that in you. And so having access to all this information and these types of people that are, that are continuing to move forward and, you know, the, the paintball timeline, um, man, it's big. Um, I will say, uh, and this is probably, I don't know. Um, I'm just going to say it. Uh, I think one of the biggest factors for, um, uh, Texas becoming better uh, is Greg Pauly and um, the AC system that he's brought in. Uh, we use a variation of it um, because of the manner in which this information is disseminated um, and how many players Greg Pauly has been responsible for building and teaching these systems, including, you know, uh, Tyler Spice and Ross Saunders, who both helped us um his system and understanding kind of uh and basically teaching like even the dumbest player to play paintball based on like this and this and this like i don't know of any you know i don't know of many pro teams or high-end teams that aren't using some sort of variation of it um and it's maybe it's just because he's the the messenger um because i'm sure zones have been in the sport for a while uh but when I stopped, when, when I took my original break, um, it was very much, you know, you go here, shoot, and, and you know, you live and die by your gun kind of thing. It was all gunfighting. 
um, rolling off, shooting gaps that didn't exist, uh, bounce shots that shit didn't exist. It was it was very grunge, very um, in your face. It was you know fight or flight kind of thing. Uh, but he's actually improved the way that we play paintball to the point where tech like in the top you know top tier team and damn near every division um you know and and that information continues um you know now you see what they've they've got with uh diesel now and it's you know they're gonna be a force to be messed with like uh but that same thing that's gonna force everybody else to be better you know and so um just having access to competition like him um man i'm grateful for that because like that's gonna make me better that's gonna make all of us better so uh yeah it's different man things have things have definitely changed but i'm I'm grateful for it yeah i know with uh just kind of going over a couple of those points that you brought up like I know Mark Johnson, Alex Martinez, a lot of those guys brought up just how violent it was back in in those days. Um oh, man. which uh I'm I'm glad to see that it's it's uh calmed down a lot cuz now like you're seeing cool things be able to come out of it like the young guns like surgeons here like young guns has sold out at bunker fest young guns had an awesome event at uh world cup and now you're seeing more and more younger kids and teenagers get into the sport which is really really cool i think and it's going to be great for the health of the sport as a whole um and then just like all of those mentors that you listed like those guys are still doing it um uh, to this day with a bunch of new guys like especially uh at least for me personally like jesse stevens colt roberts alex martinez um got to work with jeremy zimmerman at my first uh x-ball event um and then ross saunders as well like all those guys have been awesome and then you know it's also great to see like you're carrying on that as well um like for me personally, when I graduated college, I was first coming out of the NCPA scene. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I showed up, I showed up to the field. It was probably like a month or two before the COVID pandemic shut everything down. But like, uh, I had showed up to what was, I think the ruthless tryouts at that time. Like, and I, I played a couple of years in NCPA, but like I was entirely self-taught. So like outlaw was, uh, went through a, a period like before notorious got there, like, yeah, the ATX Kings were there, but, uh, this was before they, re- they had their really good season where they ended up winning division four, uh, at USXBL. So like we were all self-taught and I didn't know what I was doing. So I, I graduated college went, moved down to San Antonio. I was about 40 pounds heavier than I am now. And, uh, you're there just doing drills and, uh, you give me all these pointers. Like I showed up to the ruthless tryouts and like my trigger was falling out of my gun because I tried to 3d print a thing and it, I was just like all sorts of a mess, man. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, Jared just gives me like weight loss tips and like what drills to do, what to focus on, things like that. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's great to see that you're kind of continuing that, uh, you know, helping, helping those below you kind of help bring them up. 
and I'm I'm very happy to see that uh, that where you are now because you've definitely deserved it and you're helping bring others up with you. Yeah, I uh, I, I I've learned to be grateful. Um, I've learned to be grateful for everything, and that you know if, if things don't happen, then it wasn't for me. And in that gratefulness, um, you know, you, you try and give back, uh, and, and not necessarily teach, but provide, um, information. So if somebody wants to vacuum it up, they can, uh, you know, for like the weight loss thing, like, um, I told you then, like, man, I've been 40 pounds overweight. Like I'm probably like 180 right now. Uh, I've been like 220. Because I just got undisciplined in life, not even in one thing or the other, just life. And uh, I fought through that shit, got back, dropped the ball again. So I got good at it. And uh, it, it, you know, now it's just kind of a, like this all-encompassing thing. It's like, um, I know we'll get into plants later, but it's kind of like, like a, having a nutrient deficiency. And uh, it's like just when when one part of your life is off or when things aren't working properly, uh, it affects everything else, you know. And um, like that's why I feel that you know you can do all the right things, but if you're missing one thing, it, it doesn't matter. You know, uh, you're not going to go anywhere. It's kind of like the the drills and stuff, man. But I'm. Uh, you know, not necessarily for me, but like for you, I'm, I'm just grateful for anybody, man, that like accomplishes their goal because uh, weight loss is a big one for, for a lot of people because it affects people uh, even in their own, like their mind. And yet they, their ego tries to fight with the other voice inside of them, um, you know, saying that this isn't a big deal or this is or whatever, but yet you feel like some sort of weight uh spiritually kind of or maybe emotionally or even in your confidence uh oh, hey jared i think we lost your audio for a sec could you uh double check that maybe turn your audio off and on can you hear yeah there we go okay sorry man what was the last thing you heard I'm uh, just uh, weight loss being a like a confidence thing or um... so uh, all of it you know there, there's a lot of stuff that we try and uh, hide but um, confidence uh, I think that that kind of permeates the rest of your life uh, I'll just sum it up for sure. All right. Um, so I want to move on to our next question here. Uh, we got a lot of people popping off in the chat. What's up, everybody? Um, if you have something you want to ask Jared, uh, please go ahead and get your questions in the chat. Uh, we'll get to it uh, later on in the show. We'll have a segment for that for uh, for everybody to get their questions in. Uh, Jared, I think we lost your audio again there. I might want to double check that. Uh, here, let's, let me, I'm going to try turning off my camera just to see if that improves things. Hopefully that'll, that 
Fix it. Uh, try speaking now. Uh, no, I still don't got you here. Try, try disconnecting and reconnecting the call. Um, all right, y'all. So while we're waiting uh, to see if we can fix this, uh, I'm just going to go through some of the stuff in the chat. Let's see what's up, everybody. Oh, all right. Jared, can, yeah, we can hear you now. Perfect, man. Sorry about that. No, you're good. You're good. I got just really bad service right here. It's, it's, yeah, we're in the boonies. No, I, we know all about that from last week. So, uh, yeah, we just looking through the chat right now. A lot of love for you right now. Uh, we got, uh, yeah, uh, one comment saying he's so dreamy from Mel. (laughs) (laughs) She said, uh, she said she wasn't going to watch, but then she was going to watch just to make sure that I mentioned her name. So. That's my girlfriend, Mel. She's been a uh, fucking sweetheart and supportive, and she listens to me talk about paintball every day. And uh, you got to find somebody like that, you know, somebody that can just deal with your bullshit and still love you for who you are. So thank you, babe. For sure. And or find someone who works on Sundays. That's what I did, and it works great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, over the last three years that I've known you, at least, uh, you've ascended the ranks really quickly so you've gone from playing d4 events with me in 2020 to now you've just won the semi-pro series with austin notorious just two seasons later in 2022 uh you wouldn't have been able to complete that climb without putting in an incredible amount of work to get there so what did your either your drills or your uh maybe your film study or your workout regimen look like so full disclosure um i was playing division two when I was like 18. Um, so I reached that rank, stopped playing, played, stopped playing, all of that. Um, that's not to say that I wasn't playing division four events and doing that. And so I will say uh, the biggest thing was learning how to drill properly. Um, there are different drills that you should be doing depending on the division you're playing. Um, simply because the like you have to master some things before you can master others. And it does no good to learn things if you can't make a shot. Um, you have to, like, what it comes down to is you got to be able to put this ball on this dude's face. And if you can't do that from this distance at this speed running this angle, um, you got to practice other things, you know? And so uh, – Drills, just standard snap shooting and running and gunning were big ones because, like, you you should you should be confident in your ability to hit somebody, and when you can shoot somebody, it makes the game a lot easier. <laughs> it's it sounds really stupid, but um, like I got a lot of teammates that don't really drill. Um, I know a lot of really high end pro players that don't drill. Um, it's, it just depends on who you are, but my mind has always been uh, if I can hit somebody easier, then why wouldn't I be doing that? Um, but as far as like, you know, if you don't have time to drill, maybe you don't have the money to drill. Uh, the big thing that you can do is learning to watch video properly. Um, and for a lot of that, it's, it's about, you know, you have to have a goal or a, a question or something that you're looking for. Um, I will say uh, a big one, for instance, uh, coming up to World Cup. 
was, you know, knowing that, all right, we've got the essentially this wall, this W that's, that's there. So I wanted to learn, all right, what's the best way to play this beyond what I've done. And so it's like, you know, who plays the wall the best? Nick Laval, the wall. So I go back and start watching a lot of film and I'm specifically watching him. That's it. I don't really care about anything else. I'm just watching him. So, you know, you're watching the game, and it's it, but he might be at the bottom right corner and the focus is over here, but that's not what you're watching. You got to watch this. And then once you start watching his moves, then you start having to visualize, okay, well, what is he shooting at? Who's stopping him? So now you have to watch the game from a different perspective. You have to watch from the guy that's trying to stop Nick. And then from there, you watch it. Well, who's the guy that stops the guy trying to stop Nick? So I learned that like, if if you're if you do something in a game and you mess up or in a tournament and you mess up, you need to be drilling that move or watching games for that event, for that sequence of actions to figure out the best way to go about it. So let's say you uh, did a run through and you missed the guy. Well, you need to go practice those four steps all over again. One, two, three, shoot. And when you miss it, you walk back and you do those four steps again. And I'll do that over and over and over and over again until you just start hitting. It. And then you realize the body mechanics that are necessary. And what I mean by that is like, you can feel like, all right, if my gun is here, I miss him. But if it's back here and I feel this actuation back in this muscle, then I know that my barrel's at the right place because I'm going to drag my paint into them. Little things like that, you know, are stuff that like, you have to inquire within yourself. Um, and, and like, I got buddies that like to drill with me. Um, uh, like everywhere, doesn't matter, X Factor, Outlaw, whatever. Um, and that's fine. But sometimes I like to drill on my own because I need my own time at my own pace without somebody distracting me uh, to figure out the things that I want to figure out. Um, some people want to talk about game plans or layouts. I don't care about that right now. It's Wednesday. The layout dropped. I'm going through my progressions. I don't give a shit about anything else. I just need to learn my shots so that when the layout comes in or when the game plans start coming out, well, fine. That's just how am I going to get to the place to get my shots? Um, going from like D5, D4, D3, like D5, D4, you got to be doing your fundamentals. Um, you got to be crispy and like start with basic stuff, how to play a bunker properly. Um, uh, there's, so I created an Instagram uh, account that I didn't want to tell anybody that it was me um, just because I found that like people learn, people are willing to accept your information or your lessons um, a lot easier if, if they don't have any sort of prejudice or maybe they looked down upon you or they looked to the side or things like that. Right. Uh, so I just did it and it, it's whatever, but a uh, paintball philosophy on Instagram. Um, I try to break down the philosophical side of, of things like how to play the one, the two, the three, um, what to do if this, then this, uh, how to approach stuff. Um, I put my thoughts on, you know, the world cup layout, just little things like that, but that's definitely more, D3, D2, D1 Pro, uh, but learning what to do and how to do it. But I think, man, the 
the biggest one for us and and i i know you know i've talked about it i know i try to uh, talk to other people about it but like two paws and a hopper like just i know it's nice to hold lanes but and this is my opinion uh because i i feel like i started playing one way and then i've i've grown to this i feel you hold zones and you contain players as a baseline methodology of winning a game uh, when you don't know how to shoot them otherwise. So it's easier for me at a lower level to hold somebody in and hopefully let my one go all the way down and shoot them in the back. Opposed to now, today, me, I let people go. Like, I want you to get into a spot that's a little closer to me. And also, it saves me money. Like, my, my you know, kills per dollar goes up. Um, I can get closer. I'll let you get somewhere and let you get somewhere and then just bait you into the kill. Uh, I find doing that lets you see more of the mid to end game. Because when you're just holding zones, you're basically just seeing the, the beginning of the game you know you break it up mid beginning middle end when you're just holding people until you basically run out of paint or get to that point where people start to have to start making moves um you're only seeing the beginning of the game and that's a lot of it's basically just a big stalemate for until someone runs out Mm. right right but and then you see the the middle to end um i like seeing the middle to end because that's like the rep that's the ending of the full rep so if I can just see those reps, like, you know, six pods in a pack, that's three reps for me. For you, it's one. Um, I think that helped me. And for us, I know when we were leading up to Chicago, where we took second, like we did a lot of two pods in a hopper. And, you know, when you're trying to catch up with like a lot of these big money teams, uh, you got to find a way to do it. And I think like two pod in a hopper is a very economical way that actually has some some real world uh, practicality to it. Um, yeah, man. Cool, man. Uh, that's, there's definitely um, a lot of good feedback there for anybody looking to climb. I mean, there's uh, for lower divisional guys. And my, my, my next question was going to be, do you have any tips for divisional players out there looking to climb the ranks at the top? I mean, as it yep. sounds like you've got to do a lot of work as individuals, uh, just to like get your fundamentals down. Cause like, it doesn't matter if your game plans, you know, great. If once you get to the spots, you can't shoot anybody. So dude, I, I will, I will tell you this. Um, you know, we had a, uh, a player that was super fast on, uh, one of the earlier D one team that I played on early in this year, really fast, really fast. Uh, but I think he was like D four. He could get to his first, you know, his first bunker, his primary, but then he would get worked by somebody who was actually division one. So it was kind of like, you know, great. We'll send you far, you know, but like, you need to learn to just Island. You got to just chill, man, because when you engage in these fights and your chances of, of winning are very low, especially from that distance where you're fighting somebody, a two or a three whose job it is, is to contain you. And they're so good at it that they've reached division one status. Like your chances of, of winning are slim. 
and uh we didn't have guys that do that that were capable of doing that at that point in time um but i mean man the the biggest things that i think and what really helped me was uh asking why and i know it's something that a lot of teachers don't like hearing because they just want you to do something especially a coach that doesn't have any time it's just like look i'm here just fucking do what i say i get that but and there are ways to ask why sometimes it's not always just why um sometimes it's can you elaborate can you uh help me understand this a little bit better um sometimes it's i know you're really smart and i'm really dumb but can you please help me uh accomplish the goal that you've set out for me uh but asking why is like it gives you the foundation the structure of uh whatever you're doing and, and the ability to teach that so when you have the ability to teach that means you have a thorough understanding of it and i feel like right now um paintball is a very alpha sport you know and uh it's very uh ego driven and so people don't always want to ask why because it shows that they don't understand something and um that's fine like it's okay to go you know years in the sport and not have an actual understanding of something um it's weak to not try and find what the the thing that you need to know is it's not strong it's it's a weakness um you know but you got to have like you know something in there that that you're not afraid of shattering uh because you know you ask somebody that maybe you held in high regard and you would hope that they had held you in high regard and you don't want them to look down on you um but i would say most importantly um don't settle for a rate of progress as in if it took somebody 10 years to do it don't think it has to take you 10 years find a way to be more efficient make it make seven and if somebody else did it in seven well fuck you can do it in five like don't don't like otherwise you're not going to catch up and i caught up all the people that didn't play d2 at 18 caught up you know all my homies caught up so there's no reason you can't catch up there's none at all uh you just got to find out what works for you everybody's path is a little different sometimes you're just born with speed and uh athleticism and you're going to be a one you get cherry picked that wasn't my my journey that was not my journey uh i started out as the one because i love to attack but i'm slow so when there were faster ones you know as you start climbing higher and higher in the ranks like I got moved down and eventually I got moved down to the three. And uh, that happened when I was like D2. I was like, man, back then you thought of the three as like the, you know, it was a terrible way of thinking about it. Maybe it was just whatever, but usually it was the most out of shape guy uh, to play the three or the guy that was interchangeable. And I hated that. So I learned how to play the three. I think I'm damn good at it. Um, you know, could be taller or whatever mm. you know what are you gonna do just fucking play your game and uh you know what if somebody's taller shooting down you get lower move to the side like just figure it out but uh and um and bet on the one out of a million like it doesn't cost you a lot but like the return is huge like bet on yourself just don't give up for sure 
lots of people in the chat right now are saying this is uh, they're going to have to go back and write, you know, take some notes on this one. Definitely lots of great stuff in there, Jared. Appreciate it. Uh, So with everything uh, in your journey, this next one is brought to us by FU Athletics, which is uh, Thomas's brand over on the Titans. Uh, Go to. Go to thefuathletics.com, use code INTHEPITS25 for 25% off your order. Uh, so what has been your favorite moment in your career so far? Oh, dude, winning a World Cup. And then, uh, oh, man, I feel so bad for those guys. I love fit. I love those guys. Mm. I feel like I have an emotional connection with them. Casey used to coach. Casey Harris, uh, their coach. He coached FSU, and he actually, I think, coached us in my worst tournament I think I've ever played in my life. Uh, got shot off break every single game. Every point, it was terrible. Um, after we won World Cup, uh, every, you know, we're, we're celebrating and, and you know, having beers and stuff, and uh, Casey comes up to me and is uh, like, I think you guys are in the spot. I'm just like, nah. Bullshit. Thought you guys won it. Totally like I just thought they were messing with us. And uh no, he's like, no, I think you won it by one point. And uh Renee, shout out to the homie Renee. Uh he's standing right next to me. And I just like look over and I'm like, bro. They said we won the spot. Don't tell anybody. They said we won it by a point. And his eyes and mouth just it's just ah, man. Um was unreal. Um, what's crazy is like, uh, dude, the the vibe through the whole thing was just like, man, we're just fucking fighting for us, for our homies who couldn't be there. Like Brandon White, man, that's a ah oh, fuck. My boy, like he lost, he lost a lot of family. Like rest in peace, man, and. We played for him. Like, when I say he lost a lot of family, man, like, like multiple funerals within, like, a short time period. Um, he was grinding with us, like, the practice before and then couldn't make it. And before that, he couldn't make Chicago because his mother passed. And, like, dude, we were out there grinding for him. We were grinding for our other homie, Diego Soto, who passed away. Like, it was just this this thing, man, where... And we took second in Chicago, so we're just fucking pissed. You know, in overtime, in Chicago, against Blast Camp, like, in the pouring rain, it was just, like, there was so much there, and and you, you, you it couldn't be more storytelling. Like, you know, we were kind of joking, like, man, let's, let's, let's write a good story here. Like, let's write some real shit. Um, and there were little bits of stuff, you know, little things that we did, we kind of did on the on the path that made you know the, the story even better um so yeah man winning the winning world cup and then finding out we won the pro spot it's the best there ever is i don't understand what else you can do it's like everything that every divisional player fights for like the goal what do you want to do let's go pro let's go pro <laughs> fucking did it it's it's cool man it's cool yeah i remember uh just 
hanging out with you guys all, you know, on and off throughout cup, just in between my matches. And, and I, I just like the spark kind of started a little bit whenever blast camp ended up not making it out of prelims. No, we're like, "Mm, there might be something here after all. People talk about kind of give them a look, give them a look. (laughs) You know what? We're just not going to talk about it. Keep moving forward. Oh yeah. Like it was a, it was an event where for us to win, everybody else had to fuck it up. Sorry. They had to mess it up. Um, we just had to do our thing and not mess it up for us. And, you know, whatever way it's going to work out happened to be in our favor that day. Yeah. I mean, still counts though, right? It still counts. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And just to touch on the double points thing. Um, it's only a conversation because it's a conversation. Right. I don't um, care what anybody says. It if it wasn't a one point difference, is it if like it's irrelevant. Like instead of saying double points, just say two hundred. Oh well then it it doesn't matter. Like You already it, know what like, my thoughts are there on the whole double points thing. I mean I mean, I, mean I, I wrote the whole post and everything, like y'all want it either way. The only- I but the same thing, like, dude, I'd be saying the same thing. Oh, fucking double points, man! And it's just, it's only an issue because people lost. But that's kind of the, like, that's what made it cool. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what made it something. I mean, it, it it's for the underdog. And if you're not rooting for the underdog, who are you? Like Mighty Ducks, you got to be the best, man. Double points. Funny thing is, like, even like I, so I made this post for anybody who's watching. I made this post and put it on the uh, paintball talk by cell page, rest in peace. Um, and it was just like, hey, breaking down the numbers of like, hey, if this were the 2021 system with no double points, who would have, who would have won the spot? So Notorious still wins it. The only difference is Blast Camp gets third place instead of fourth place. Yeah. I, I mean, it's okay. So, as a fan of the sport, right? Um, it's hard to not say that Blast Camp may have been the best team at a certain point in the division. At a certain point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At that point in Chicago. After Chicago, it was us. Um, fit damn good team um man when they lost trenton trenton's like he's an anchor you know and i love chuck chuck's my boy chuck replaced Trenton as the two on the snake side um like trenton's just cold-blooded man and uh like it's hard to say what would have happened had trenton played Mm -hmm. um because he's a monster you know, like, like he's really good. Um, and they lost like, uh, the, I think they did this, uh, Cole and, um, somebody else, they did this, uh, lone wolf in trend. They did this lone wolf podcast. It's, it's worth watching, like go back, watch it. Um, they lost like three guys or something. And that's, yeah. that's rough. That's rough. Um, you know, but it, it, uh, it, it just adds, 
one more thing for athletes to to focus on and that's like your physical health and i don't mean like your weight because they're that's always a joke and it's like mm-hmm. that's not what I, mean. I mean like your 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 joints like for me my knees i like as a farmer i'm walking around on uneven ground all the time as a paintball player i need my knees i need my ankles and so what i found out is like excuse me um i used to wear steel toe boots um you know, and uh, that extra weight at the front of your foot, it, it provides like this, uh, like an extra torque on your knee. And you don't notice it until you start noticing it. And I eventually had to stop wearing steel toe boots. And so just little things like that, or even um, when you're driving and you have like your, your foot on the gas pedal. And then when you put it on the brake, you just kind of shift it. Well, that puts like torque on there. And so when you have other like knee injuries or stuff like that, kind of exacerbates it, or at the very least, it doesn't help it. Um, and so like as somebody who's 35 going on 36, like closer to 40 now, uh, I have to start paying attention to stuff like that. And I think that's just something that they're going to now focus on. And so for fit moving forward, like, you know, shit, now, now they know. So it's going to be tough to beat them. Like they're, they're going to be strong man. they're going to be really strong this year. Yeah. I know all about that injury bug. I mean, as someone who's been dealing with back, like severe back injury this past year, like I, I missed four events this past year. Um, which like at, uh, I don't, I, I don't remember if we ended up seeing each other at NXL in Dallas this year, but like I could barely walk. And I was, I was there just like, I picked up the clipboard and uh, did my best, but like, I couldn't carry, like, I couldn't even wheel my own gear bag. That's like, that's the level that I was at. So like, that's, that's no joke, man. Uh, it's, you really have to take care of yourself. Uh, cause like now I'm like, Hmm, I've got to, I've got to think about this stuff. Like, Hey, am I, you know, a what pot what pod pack am I wearing? Um, that's that's a big thing, and thank goodness for carbon because that um has really worked to like lessen the stress on that part of my yeah. back. Um, and like, hey, I have to think about how I dive, you know, all this movement mechanics, and then just like you know day to day stuff. But yeah, injury bug, no joke. Uh. Uh-uh. All right, so uh kind of getting away from uh, the paintball talk for a little bit um, and more just like into your personal life. So in your field of work, uh, you operate hemp farms, both in Oregon and here in Texas. So tell me uh, like more about what does that line of work involve for you? So, okay. So I had a, a farm in Oregon, still have the property. Um, I have uh, a farm here in Texas. It's actually on my parents' property. Um, They've got like 56 acres out here and uh, it was a great opportunity to like take advantage of stuff. Um, But I mean, and that's kind of a, I'll go down that story, but uh, man, my, my work is, is always been focused on uh, breeding and finding genetics. And so when I moved to Oregon, um, it was about linking up with people, uh, different breeders, different farmers, trying genetics and trying to find what worked the best for uh, a given environment. Um, so the effect an environment has on a, 
um, a genotype or a, a certain set of genetics is the phenotype or the phenotypic expression. It's um, essentially like if you were to take you and instead of growing up here in Texas in this paintball scene, you grew up in the California paintball scene, how you would change. You're still the same person, but you might talk a little different. You might have a little different swagger. You might say different things. You might play paintball different. That's a phenotype. Hmm. Uh, so what we would try to do is find stuff that works for different areas. Uh, a lot of, because of Texas's environment, and it's very unique and extreme. Um, and because of the limited kind of uh, cultivation culture out here, as far as like the open, the outdoors concerned, um, we found that a lot of the genetics, probably 90% of the stuff from all over the U.S. didn't work out here. And so a lot of what I do is like growing really bad plants and uh, finding the ones that do grow good. And then you take those and uh, you start trying to make seeds with them. Um, and from there, the idea is to produce something that a commercial cultivator uh, will like and choose. And so ideally, you try to find something that uh, that has a heavy yield, um, high potency as far as whatever cannabinoid content they choose, um, depending on what they're wanting, whether it's like high THC, high CBD, high CBG, um, that chemical type, also known as a chemotype, um, that will go to different farmers depending on where they are. And so like in Oregon, we are able to do a lot of high THC stuff here. It's CBD, CBG. Um, but it's, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of investing and losing money. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. It's, uh, you know, like I, I can do everything, but, uh, it just, it comes down to like, what's the potential of the, the genetics. Um, and when you run them indoors, you know, under perfect environment, uh, they do great. But that's, you know, that's not really what I enjoy. I mean, it's fine. Um, you know, but like with Texas being so uh, so new and so young in the cannabis uh, industry as a whole, I feel that the information that I've put forth um, and I'm acquiring just for my own data collection, it's it's. Uh, it's extremely valuable. I mean, it's the first stuff that's legally allowed to be cultivated in a long time um, where we have access to like the internet um, and we can document stuff and we can run uh, like lab tests for things and we can run experiments and stuff. It, it's, it's unique. Um, but overall, man, like outside of the hemp and stuff, um, I currently work for uh a medical marijuana place here in um, Texas called uh, Good Blend TX. Um, I'm the cultivation supervisor there. Uh, I I basically grow a bunch of indoor. You know um, that gets processed for extraction, uh, turned into edibles, and then they've got like a fleet of drivers that drive all over Texas and uh, deliver to your door. Pretty cool. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I I uh, I don't smoke, uh, so I'm like I have zero perspective of any of this industry as a whole. So it, it's it was interesting to me to learn that hey, this like laws have changed in Texas, and so now thing like now it's legal to cultivate. So um, 
what are some of the challenges that you've encountered over the years from this work, either from like maybe legal challenges or maybe just like the nature of the work or the, like the landscape of it all? Uh, what are some of the challenges you've encountered? So this is where I feel like things can get kind of lengthy. Um, is that okay? Or tell your story how you want to tell it. All right, man. Um, the biggest challenge for everything is like, you have to have a legal means of income. You can't fund a recreational operation with black market money. You just, you can't do it. Um, even when I was in Oregon buying a house uh, and property, that's one of the things that they ask. Like, it doesn't matter if you got the money in your bank. It just, like, you have to show some sort of source of income. Um, and so, like, funding that dream was kind of the first challenge. Um, you know, and I knew that I wanted to do something. It was just, how do you get to that point? And that took, you know, four or five years to do. Um, I had another business that uh, I'll try to sum that up. Um, we did another bunch of uh, manufacturing and distribution of herbal uh, herbal products to a bunch of smoke shops and distribution companies um, that generated enough income for me to go out there buy property. Uh, that was kind of a, a whole thing because th so in order to do certain uh, activities on certain chunks of property, you have to have certain zoning rights or you have certain zoning rights that allow you to do things like that. Um, in cannabis, you typically need something that allows you to do uh, agricultural um, activities. However, a lot of that kind of was uh, altered when um, the medical and, uh, and hemp fields kind of collided. Is the same thing with recreational. So the idea was that recreational was a commercial activity. Um, you're growing for profit. Medical was not. Um, yet the zoning rights for some places that allowed medical uh, didn't allow for the, the transition into the recreational licensing. And so people that built these um, huge medical farms, you know, for uh, 10, maybe 20 years or so, um, now found out that all the money they invested in their real estate is worthless to move to the next step of the industry. Um, and even then going from cultivation to extraction, there's certain types of extraction that are allowed. For instance, on my property, uh, it's, it's zoned woodland reserve. Um, I think that's what it is. Uh, it, it allows me to cultivate, but I can't do any sort of, um, extraction specifically that involves, uh, hydrocarbons or, um, butane, propane, hexane, uh, things that would blow up. Um, and for good reason, it's a bunch of woods You're in a mountain, you're going to burn shit down. Um, at the same time, you know, it's not really something that people are wanting to deal with because they're solvents. Um, ideally for consumption in the healthiest manner, you want something that's solventless. And that of course means that you don't have to deal with a lot of the other issues of like, uh, having a fire marshal inspect for a sprinkler system um, or having to house these uh, high pressure uh, explosive gases. There's a lot of, uh, unfortunately, a lot of news stories that pop up of like labs exploding and people getting their faces melt off. And, and it's, it's true. It's a hazard. Um, it's, still used in some industries with you know success although there are still dangers um 
you know, but trying to find something that fit what I was comfortable doing and what I had the funding to do was a big challenge. And, um, you know, I moved, I, I, like four or five days before Thanksgiving, uh, in like 2016, I just, I left Texas. I just said, I'll be back. I drove to Oregon and I spent Thanksgiving in Oregon by myself in a diner. And I stayed there in hotels and Airbnbs for two months until I found a place. And when I found a place, I drove home, uh, grabbed my dogs, packed my stuff, uh, packed up my, whatever I had for that business and left. Um, that was its own challenge, man. Like you're, you're talking about, you know, turning a piece of raw land into uh into a farm. Like, how do you do that? You uh, watch some videos and do some research and uh, pay some people that are smarter than you. Um, you know, and even through all that, like the funding came from that, the other business that I had. And um, so at one point the DEA got involved um like drug enforcement agency so they had an interpretation of one of the herbal, the herbal product that we were selling and claimed that um under a certain uh whatever that they were going to classify it as like schedule one and so we kind of freaked out and we're like there's no grounds for this but you're going to do it Okay, so we had like this 4,000 square foot warehouse at the time. And like, look around, you know, I see all the rafters and the, uh, the girders at the top. And, you know, everything's covered in like this fine dust from this herbal product. And uh, all in my mind, I'm just like, dude, this is bad. Like, if they, if they schedule this as a schedule one, like anything, then they're going to come here and like you have a, a warehouse and you're manufacturing a schedule one substance. And it's not just like weed. It would like as a flower. Um, it would, would have been charged for concentrates, and uh, it would have been really bad. So we like we sold everything and just threw shit away. Like I lost a lot of money in that. But because of that, I ended up all of that fell through. Didn't have anybody to hire again to get back to business. So I hired this co-packer. Um, fast forward to the middle of this farm. The co-packer, she ends up getting shut down by the FDA and lies to me about it and tells me she's allowed to do business and, and all's good. Um, the FDA issue happened because she was mislabeling this product. And when, when it's mislabeled as such, specifically, they were calling it a dietary supplement. And a dietary supplement is a... Uh, it's a specific jurisdiction um, that the FDA controls. Uh, if something isn't intended for the for the diet, then by definition, it, it is not a dietary supplement. Our argument was that nobody's consuming this for their diet. It has nothing to do for nutritional value, no protein, no no nothing. It has mm -hmm. nothing to do with the diet. So we always labeled it differently. FDA shuts her down. She lies. She steals a bunch of money from us. I had diversified into the farm. So I had enough money in this account to cover the business. And then everything else was going to the farm. Um, well, when she stole that money, that stopped all of that. And then she lied to me about it for months. And uh, I'm actually still going to court for that. Uh, I've got my hopefully final 
dude, we've been trying to go to trial for years. Uh, it's COVID happened. It's like they say contracts, and we'll get into the contracts thing later, man. But contracts are only as good as the money that you have to enforce them. Doesn't matter what you've got. Like, it just, it's a long process. And for some people, it's not worth it. The problem with us is that she cost me my entire business. Um, so that's another challenge. You know, mm -hmm. like, you've got this funding for an incomplete project. And until you have all the funds to complete the project, the project is going to remain unfinished. And it's risky because something like this happens. And then all of a sudden, what do you do? So I had a choice, you know, do I try going down this path i'm unsure of like the D the fda's investigating or seizing bank accounts or whatever they're doing or do i just double down on the farm so i doubled down on the farm you know and then uh figure you know what um this is what i love this is what i'm about and uh i'm gonna make it happen one way or another so i started kind of recording what i was doing um i created a podcast and in my mind, it was just like, again, being grateful. Uh, I didn't need it to be professional. I just put my thoughts out there. Um, you know, I was how to start a cannabis farm podcast. Uh, and I talked about a lot of stuff because, like, I was out in the mountains as, after a while by myself. So it's just like me and my dogs, you know, and like surrounded by the mountains. You know, there's nobody to talk to. So you start talking to yourself. And then it becomes a problem when like yourself starts talking back, but it's not the self that you think it is. It's weird shit, man. Um, but like, it was tough when you're trying to fund your farm and you don't have an income. And so you're just trying to budget what you have. And there was a, a segment that I made called growing while growing broke. And it was kind of how my attitude changed of like, you could just spend money on this or this to like, look, like, I got one chicken thigh for the dog, got one chicken thigh for me. All my money's got to go to the plants. Because if the plants stop growing and I can't finish the harvest, then, you know, what good was all the other money that I spent? So, like, I had to, like, balance this stuff. And at the same time, you're, like, you're going through this little depression. And there's no good talk to because you're on your own. And like my ego is still like giant. So you, know, you don't want to admit stuff. You try to talk to somebody, but it's, it's a, it's a humbling experience, man. Like, like being an entrepreneur, I've had successes. I, I had a successful business, um, but also having one that's like when things are failing and, or a better way of looking at it is like, you just got really expensive lessons. Uh, it like, it, it teaches you about, about things about yourself. So, um, I learned, you know, what I could and, and, and couldn't do. I learned what I could and couldn't take. Uh, you know, I learned that, uh, Jared, I think we lost your audio there real quick. No, try it. Try disconnecting and reconnecting real quick. All right, I think How's we got that? you. Yeah, we're good. I, so we lost you right on. Uh, you learned what you could and you couldn't take. Oh, yeah. No, man. It's like, uh, 
the the mind is like is is very powerful you know um like i I learned that like the the negative thoughts like the voices that tell you this or this or this like that's not you that's not like whatever's telling you you can't achieve anything or, or you know this like that's not you at all um that's just something that exists within the body that you are encompassing at this moment and i was like fuck that you know i'd rather work with the voices than be a slave to them and so it's like they say you know your, your ego is necessary um in a sport like this and it is mm-hmm. but it's like a it's a give and take thing you know like you got to have something it's there for survival um but at the same time like you know you're here to experience things you're here to grow um and when you're when you take the time to like question your your really deep inner inner self uh you'll find man that like your ego is not a bad person or a bad soul or a bad spirit um it's just been like abused that's just kind of how it feels it's just like it it just needs some loving you know and uh it's weird man love it 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 moves things and you know and i realized like it's okay to have things go wrong it's okay to have experiences that aren't um positive in the light that you would normally look at them from um the what matters though is that like you grow from it you know if you're giving an opportunity even if you don't see it as one if you just see it as you know an event um it's on you to make the best of it and if you don't that's fine you know uh you're given all these things and it's just how fast you can pick them up you know and uh learning to deal with it but man there are a ton of issues at this place um like i loved going to oregon but i also feel like it was one of the roughest roughest times in my life um and he's been trying to move back man like uh like i moved back because um the hemp had become federally legal and uh it was time to, it was just time. There's a lot of things that were, were working, weren't working, weren't working the way that I wanted them to. Um, I went out there with the intention of, uh, starting a recreational marijuana farm. Um, I, uh, I went through the County, had like a two inch application. Uh, man, I got approved. It was, it was a beautiful thing. I spent a lot of time designing plot plans, um, doing stuff that would have cost me, you know, 50 grand doing it by myself because I didn't have the money. So I felt really empowered and like, you know what? I don't need these people. I can do this shit myself. Um, but things didn't work out. And even moving back, uh, you know, I was, I was blessed with an opportunity to lease the property out and fast forward a few months, property gets raided. And I'm like, what do you mean the property gets raided? So I get a call from my neighbor uh it's like nine o'clock eight o'clock my time so it's like six seven o'clock oregon and uh my neighbor's like your property just got raided like what is going on like i have a lease it's for hemp they're supposed to be like growing a bunch of hemp and making hemp seeds and at the time like the business model worked out where they could make like 25 million something like that off the property you know, for what they were doing. And they seemed, all right, I was like, fine. So 
and again, I was starting all this. So I was mm-hmm. I'd like really hands off. I'm focused hundred percent on Texas. Um, find out the property gets raided. And I like, I have to wait till the season's over, like here in Texas when I harvest so I can fly up there to go see what's going on. And, uh, I like find out that there's, I don't know, I don't want to say too much. Um, but it, it just got trashed. Um, so I had to uh, figure out what to do with that. And, uh, I ended up leasing the property to another, uh, another gentleman who trusted and, uh, this dude owes me a bunch of money still. And, uh, it didn't get ready. It was, everything was good. It's just the market collapsed mm-hmm. and like the market collapsed to the point where like his business model didn't make sense and his investors left. And, uh, now I'm, I'm stuck with, uh, you know, a property that's, in the process of being cleaned up, trying to get it sold. Um, you know, but one of the things that I realized is like, as a, I didn't be planning on becoming a landlord. It just happened. And, uh, I realized like you can't control your tenants. Like that was one of the challenges, you know? So I'm sitting here looking at this as an, as a, like, this is part of my financial portfolio. It's one of my assets. Um, and it's increased in value. I mean, I, I, if I can get what it's valued at, I, man, I'm good. Like I made my money back. Um, the investment was worth it because it also paid for this opportunity to get to this point. Um, and it gave me enough cash flow to be able to get hired basically to do what I'm doing without spending my own money. Um, so I was like, that. it's all the way, but I got to still pull this out. And um, you don't plan for things like that. But uh it's 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 been a challenge just across the board and uh, it's it's something that you know you you just have to be ready for if you're going to go down the cannabis path entrepreneur path real estate path um there's so much to it and it's all a market uh everything you know and it's not just your market that gets affected by you know this or that i mean it's global markets it's spy balloons that are affecting things (laughs) You know, just you name it, man. I mean, like it's oh gosh. And I will say, like the biggest one at the moment is uh, not in, even in relation to, like me, but um, just cannabis as a whole is like we've got the Fed saying one thing, we've got the states saying the other, we've got all the states around us that say completely different things. We got different limits for THC and this and this. Then there's um things that are illegal to manufacture but they're legal when produced because they meet the definition of this uh it's there's a lot there's a lot and uh you just got to be inquisitive yourself it costs too much money to uh to hire somebody to teach you all this stuff like i could never charge anybody what i feel the information that i've learned is worth because i i i I've seen what these lawyers charge and that's just ridiculous. Um, but I will say uh, you have the ability to research and that's, I think the the biggest asset that we have is like, we got a computer at our fingertips. We have the ability to learn everything and um, you know, stupidity seems to almost be voluntary nowadays, but that's, you know, my opinion. 
For sure. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of challenges that you've had to go through over the years. And so a question like kind of wrapping up this segment here is um, like kind of moving forward now that legal definitions have changed and now it's it's legal for hemp to be grown uh, in in the entire country now. Um so how, like, are there other ways that you would like to see either the industry itself or maybe the government or the public's view on the industry? Like, in what ways would you like to see this change or grow? Oh, man. Um, so it's tough because most um, most stoners, most high-level like high cannabis consumers, um, they haven't stopped smoking in a while. And because of that, like their tolerance builds and builds and builds, and they almost have a disconnect with the effects uh, that that cannabis can have. Um, and and cannabis really is just like a medium; um, it's just a means. You're really talking about the chemical interactions between like your brain and all these different receptors and the various chemicals, whether it's uh, terpenoids, flavonoids, um, cannabinoids, so THC or uh, THCA, even um, all the different acidic compounds. But uh, because of that, you know, it's tough to have that conversation. Um, I got arrested a long time ago, long, long, long time ago, got off probation, uh, hadn't smoked for two and a half years. So super clean, no tolerance. Um, Man, when I smoked for the first time, I like I took two hits and it was like a hit and a half too much. And, uh, I, I'm not a, uh, a lightweight, but at the time I was, and I didn't realize how strong it had gotten and coming from somebody who like, I got arrested and, and for that, because I was selling and, and growing and flying out and shipping and stuff. And, um, you know, so having that understanding, uh, of what the effects are, um, it was crazy to see like, wow, this is strong, really strong. And I had to start building my tolerance all over again because for me, I, I enjoyed, it's weird. Um, I think you have to have a tolerance to cannabis to thoroughly enjoy it because if you don't one hit, two hits, it's too much. Mm-hmm. You need to have the ability to dial your stuff in. And so that's where the beauty of microdosing comes in. Um, for people that don't consume cannabis, uh, microdosing is huge because that's the point, right? You provide small events, uh, small amounts that are equivalent to maybe your ability to um, withstand uh, or tolerate a specific effect or a specific experience. And so uh, having that separation is tough because you've got people that are just like, oh, it's whatever. But um, man, if you were to take, you know, a dab of an extract, it, dude, you probably throw up just because it's so strong. Um, but like, it's tough to ask people to change their views. Hmm. They think something because of a certain reason. Who am I to say that, you know, what you think is wrong based on what you experienced? That doesn't make sense, right? Like, it, it that doesn't make sense. Um, what you think is is correct based on what you've learned what you've learned may be wrong it may be propaganda um but it doesn't mean that what you think isn't correct to you 
you know, so I guess what I'd like to see is just, you know, more education, but it's tough because education doesn't pay the bills, you know, uh, our teachers, you know, you guys don't get like, it's tough to get the recognition financially, you know, for, uh, for what you're actually doing for America's youth and stuff like that. It's, it's tough. Um, schools, education, like a lot of that stuff, it, it gets kind of blown over. Um, it's tough to educate people, you know, and that's such a very long-term um, approach to to getting the industry to change, but that that's, it's got to happen. Um, it's, it's interesting because a long time ago, and I say a long time ago, like 2006, um, 2007, maybe uh, I remember speaking with the guys from Texas normal um was the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws and uh they expressed way back then that you know it wasn't that the politicians here in texas didn't um agree or approve or uh didn't even care about the use of cannabis it was that that their donors cared Mm -hmm. it was that they lose their job if they approve the use of cannabis it's like man how do you be argue with that you know you can call them a shill or or whatever but at the end of the day it's like still it's that's how they see it so how do you argue against that and try to be productive you know that's the goal the goal isn't to argue your point and to have like ego battle versus ego battle battle it's like actual progress um how do you argue that and that's a it's a very philosophical question that's like uh, it's, it's person to person, you know, I think you have to have like the right person have a discussion with the right person. Um, otherwise things just, they don't work out, but into more like the paintball realm. Um, it's interesting because like cannabis is everywhere in paintball. Mm. It's arguably part of the culture. Um, Every parking lot smells like weed. Uh, the divisional pits smell like weed. Um, when players fly in, they're trying to find weed. Uh, it's 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 a part of table. At the same time, I also see the group of people that you know they got their kids. Like we don't want our kids around that. Not because it's bad. We just don't want them. We just don't want to have that conversation. So I think it's, it's, you know, we got to kind of come to this common ground. And so one of the things that uh, hopefully uh, Mark Franz, AustinNotorious.com will, uh, will be able to come up with, and we've been joking about it, but uh, like a, a smoking trailer, you know, where you can like have it filtered. You can come smoke your hemp and uh, consume in a confined area, you know, and maybe we can get like the NXL's blessing because, you know, if in order to kind of appease players and kind of, you know, bring stuff from out of the divisional pits, out of the stands, you know, and maybe make it more acceptable, maybe give people a place to do it instead of just telling them don't do it, you know, or just say, Hey, you know, uh, we're cool with it, but like vapes only cartridges only, you know, like no, combustion um and and maybe don't be like anti-cannabis maybe just anti-smoke 
you know, because then it's like, oh, secondhand smokes bad, carcinogens. Yeah, fuck yeah. You know, that's something that even smokers are like, like myself, I'm like, dude, it's way healthier to eat an edible than it is a smoke joint. Don't care what you say. Um, I'd rather have, you know, like, it's just th there's methods of consumption that are that are healthier, especially for what we're doing. Um, you know, uh, it's it's a part of it, and I think it, it should be embraced. But I also understand why. I'm not going to stop playing if you know cannabis is like no, you know, people will just go to their cars like they normally do. But at this, it just it's unfortunate because half the states, you know, that we plan are legal or medical yet the the viewpoint is is always negative mm -hmm. um you know it, it and and i don't think that should be uh and maybe it's because i i am a smoker um you know but i will say this and i'm not going to call names but there are some very big players in uh and i don't mean players but there's some very big people in the industry um that have their hand in cultivation uh one way or another and um that's just true there's a lot of paintball that got played and a lot of fields that are uh they're operating because of the cannabis community there's a lot of people that are able to play because they have their side hustles um you know to to speak down on it is like you know a blessing is a blessing if it puts money in your pocket, fine. Maybe there's a better way to do it. Maybe there's a better way of consuming it. Maybe there's a lot of better things. Um, but I would like it to be viewed at from like, you know, a 2023 perspective, not like a 1937 perspective or whatever. I mean, like, it's just, it's such a big part of my life to the point where like, I went to jail for this. I, I risked my life for this. I got buddies who died in the mountains and got buried in the mountains for this. Um, there's people before us, you know, that, that they risk everything for this, you know? So like to disrespect it, to speak down on it, I understand where they're coming from. I don't judge anybody for it, but um, as a human, knowing that they are part of the spectrum of humanity that uh, I'm also on uh, just sucks just sucks man because it's just a plant you know there's a lot of things that do things but it's it, it's it's not the effect that you're really mad at maybe it's um the shift in power that will probably happen you know uh from a community of users versus a community of, of non but uh who's who knows who knows man maybe i'm maybe i'm just still but uh yeah, I'll just leave that with that, man. I think that was good. Yeah, for sure. I do like how you're relating it back to paintball and the paintball industry. I mean, I, I can definitely tell you that if if the the boss man, Mark Franz, were uh, able to work something out with the NXL and y'all were able to get a trailer like that going, y'all would be the richest team in the NXL Pro Division. And it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be particularly close, I don't think. I think you'd definitely get a lot of business there, at least. Uh so now I want to, you know, we've talked about kind of your, your background, your history as a paintball player and just kind of who you are in general. Uh, I want to kind of, uh, move the clock forward to this past season. 
So cool. uh, you started out the year on the semi-pro team STK after playing uh, on and off with Grit X and Division Two, and y'all were fairly successful. Y'all had a bunch of Sunday finishes. I think you had a top four in there as well. Uh, so uh, tell me about how uh, the 2022 season started moving into semi-pro with STK. Okay. Um, I got to start with Diesel in 2021 because that sets up all of 2022. Um, so I basically left Grit X middle, uh, I think right after Chicago, which is when we took fourth. Um, and uh, Jeremy Zimmerman hit me up and said that uh, Greg Pauly had um, asked for my number and that uh, there might be an opportunity for me to make the team. Um, so bring me out to a couple of practices and I'm trying out with another guy in Jesse. Um, he actually ended up like having a muffler or something like slammed on his shoulder and like messed it up. And it's just he and I trying out. So he can't make it on the last day of tryouts or whatever. They're like, well, he's not here. So you made it. It's great. Um, but I'm told that, uh, you know, probably won't get much playing time. Fine. You know, I'm here for the experience. Um, World Cup, no spins. Uh, I asked them, you know, am I, my, is there an opportunity to play uh, beyond this? Like, we'll see. I don't know. So off-season happens, go to a bunch of practices. Um, at the second to last practice that I'm on, uh, I get told that uh, I might have to look for another team for uh, 2022. Um, and this is by Mark Johnson in a huddle all the diesel guys he's like you're playing you're playing you might have to find somebody else or somebody else like okay and then he's like uh he's like are you coming to the asg practice asg is a field um kind of near la Mm -hmm. and uh i'm like yeah yeah i'm gonna come like if there's still that one chance like yeah coming so fly out there on my own dime um and it starts off rough man i get there probably like eight hours early and uh, sitting in the hotel um, trying to get the room number for Mark. And and it's this like, I just need Mark to, to talk to the dude on the phone and like, just tell him it's you so I can check in. And for some reason for eight hours, he wasn't able to do that. So I sit in the hotel lobby for eight hours. uh, And then um, Logan Dyer shows up and he, joins me for a few hours and then everybody shows up. So I'm sitting there for a while and I definitely feel like hey, dude, eight hours, man. You know, you can't just pick up the phone once. Um, but I'm, I'm like, whatever. I'm uh, I know I'm the new guy. I know I'm probably not playing with this team. I'm there to learn. Um, so whatever. Uh, first day comes and uh, we gear up, you know, and uh, I'm like, you know, it's like if you're not playing ref. So, um, and we do this thing where it's like you play four points and then you sit. It's like a four-team rotation or whatever. Um, I didn't play a single point at practice. I played 50 points. 50, 5-0. Whole first day. I geared up. I basically refed the whole day. And the first half of that day, I started getting that feeling like, fuck, man. Like, I'm not even getting looked at. 
like hop on the field. And so I start having this like inner qualm, like, man, uh, Mark doesn't want this. And, and, you know, what the fuck, man? And I just start kind of getting pissed off. And I'm like, you know what? No. I flew all the way out here on my own time. If he's not going to put me in, then I'm going to get as much as I can out of this experience as possible. So I stopped watching the game from like a, like a little, like a baby bitch, like perspective. Like, fuck this. I'm going to learn what I can. So I'm spending the money and I'm, I'm not going to get fucking walked over. Like, I don't need to tell him how to spend his money because he's supplying the pain. But I'm going to get the most out of the situation that I can. So I started watching it from a different perspective. And I realized really quick, I was not ready to play pro. And Mark was 100% right. And I had to mature. I had to realize, like, you know, you're not paying. You're paying for the opportunity to be there. But you're not paying for the spins. You're not paying for the other players. And you're probably not going to even play on the team moving forward. So if the opportunity for a good team to play other good teams like Dynasty and Aftermath, when that opportunity is so rare, can you blame him for not spinning you? And I was like, no. I can be mad. I can be fucking emotional. But, like, I'm a businessman, too. That's dumb money being spent. The very next day, he spins me the first point. I looked at him. He looks at me. Jared, go in. It's like, man. I felt like, okay, cool. Probably got, like, ten spins that day and, like, five spins the following that Sunday. But still, I grew so much. And I realized, like, I got a lot more work to do. And uh, I wanted to make sure to tell that story, man, because like, uh, like it bothered me for a long time because like I looked up to Mark. I don't need anybody to like explain there's like we're at a high level, right? Like I don't need you to like tell me why or, or like baby me. I don't think like, we're good. I'm, I'm here because I'm able to do this shit on my own, you know, and, and like figure things out, you know, and I'm grateful for the opportunity because like he and even then it's funny. So uh, we take first, we earn our pro spot. We're like walking out of World Cup and he's the last guy that I see. And, uh, you know, we had like some little words at practice, the practice before. And it was it was just because like he wanted to keep practicing and our guys were injured. And it was just like whatever. And, you know, uh, shook my hand, you know, and, and I told him, I was like, I'm grateful, even though you know, I didn't get many spins and stuff. I'm grateful he taught me, uh, taught me how to be better. But sometimes it's like you can allow things to like dictate your future or you could dictate your future by you know observing and fucking grabbing that shit and like no like make 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 the opportunity you know don't take the make the opportunity and uh and i did that and um when i realized because that's the the thing right is going pro it's you're always grasping on to like maybe that one or two games where you did some pro shit but you're not pro all the time and that's the problem is like you always think you can play pro because you've done some pro shit one or two times. Or maybe it looked like pro shit, but you were playing like, uh, you know, a lower divisional team. So until you see real pro shit or you're playing against guys like that, it's like, uh, you need to be humbled. And I was humbled. And so moving forward, um, I asked Mark because I was I was very uh, – Still wanted to be part of Diesel, man, and I, and I wasn't ready to give up, but I needed to find a place to play. And um, 
FSU, they've been my home. Um, I thought that their roster was full. Uh, I thought that they had like 10, 11 guys already. And that was just because there was a rotation. Some guys played that didn't play and stuff like that. Um, I figured they were full. And uh, excuse me, one of the other guys who used to play with FSU uh, separated and started SDK. And um, he had told me about it kind of before, and I just blown it off. And then uh, at this point, I was like, okay, let's do it. If we're going to play D1, let's, let's do it. And um, I did that for, you know, two events. And, uh, man, that was – okay, that was a whole other learning experience. So the idea was that, you know, we would take just – like some spare bodies and build a D one program. And, uh, I tried to bring everything that I had learned from diesel, um, and from grit, uh, and, and build these guys, you know, and it's like, okay, well, we only have so many weeks. How are we going to build a D one team with D four, D three players, D two players? It's like, well, we need to like, you're not going to get from D three to D one fundamentally, uh, in three weeks, four weeks, you're not doing it. So focus on what you can control. That's the game plan. That's controlling the zones. Let's learn to to build uh, and and structure a team. Um, let's learn how to play together. You know, so we uh, we combine some some different programs, um, and and we built kind of SDK. And uh, originally the name was Skills That Kill. And this isn't from like I guess there was an old SDK a long time ago. It's not that. Um, originally the name was skills that kill. Uh, I had the idea of like study train kill. Um, I feel like that's a very good, uh, way of looking at paintball and like the high end you, you study and you train and you start murdering people. Um, we go into our first match, uh, first division one match. And, and like, I want to say it was CDP, um, but we beat them and that was huge. Uh, and then, you know, we go one and three throughout the rest of the event, but it was, it was fine. It's a really good, uh, opportunity to learn. The issue was that the pits got really sour, really big. Um, and it almost caused the team to implode. Uh, the second event was Lone Star Texas Open, uh, the one at Giant Party and, um, Nico Hyde is our coach, you know, now for Diesel, um, there were some issues where, to my understanding, a couple players uh, were being sat or they didn't like the way Nico was coaching. And they had asked me and a few other players about it. I was just like, dude, if you got a problem with it, you got to bring it up. So I don't have a problem. They're like, well, we should just cut him. Like, no, don't like, like, you can't just get rid of the tool if you're not using the tool properly. Like, you got to at least tell him, if you're going to hire him as a coach, like, tell him what you want. If you're not going to rely on the fact that he's pro and he's made a pro and, and and his experience, then, you know, if you think that you're smarter, then tell him, you know, and uh, nobody did. And uh, then we're on to Saturday. Um, and we're playing uh, New England Hurricanes. Um, 
with Trent and uh, what's his face. Anyways, um, we're playing the Hurricanes, and uh, like one point, I hear so and so walked off. I'm not gonna say names, but like somebody walked out. I didn't really didn't click. They go out, run the point, come back. Come out, one of our teammates had literally walked out of the match. And to my understanding, it was him because he wasn't getting any playing time. Like, what the fuck? He just walked out. Um, match ends. And then all of a sudden, he's there again. And uh, he's talking to one of the other teammates, the guy who started SDK. And they're discussing how like they're not going to even play the, the last match. I'm like, this is like... We're already like 0 and 3. We're going home. But it was just weird to, and it was, man, it's like nothing makes you not want to play on a team more than like like your own team, like not wanting to be there, not wanting to play, and not having faith. And like, uh, it was rough, man. And, you know, uh, granted, both of those players have apologized and, and, uh, are, 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 working towards being better. Um, but it was like, it was tough, man. It was really tough. Uh, but the best part about uh, playing with SDK was practicing FSU. And coincidentally, it's the worst part about playing with FSU is we don't get to practice against like ourselves that much. Mm-hmm. Um, we do, but it, it's, you know, Players got things going on. Uh, we run a lot of situationals and things like that, but it's just um, I love playing our guys because I know how good our guys are. And uh, that's definitely like the reason that I think some of the guys that play against FSU get so good so quickly. It's like, dude, like you're, you're playing against really good players and that doesn't happen that often. Um, like up at fit, it does. But uh X Factor. Uh, I love those guys, but they're known for not being there at their own field. Um, it's, you know, Jesse's there. Alex is there. Colt shows up occasionally. Um, but they're not known for being there. I mean, most of their guys are out of state. Um, they used to be very homegrown, uh, but it's just, it, it's tough. You know, like that was one of the biggest things that I loved when I was playing with Grit you had the opportunity to play against other grit players, but hopefully X factor. Um, They just have a different, I guess, team model, business model, and it works for them. Um, So like who am I to argue or say anything? Uh, But I felt that there was definitely improvement um, that I made playing against them because it was like, well, we're playing against FSU um, and we're already you know, uh, a D2 team trying to punch up a D1, like, I got to do that much better. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I'm grateful for it. Yeah, it's it's uh, a very good experience. If you're, if you're able to play up or practice up, well, not, not play up in tournaments, I don't recommend that yeah. at all, but uh, – for anybody able to practice teams that are better than you or higher division than you, like get every opportunity that you can, like you're, you're not trying to go win practice. You're trying to learn and you're trying to improve and just see like 
hey, if these guys that are better than me, like, are exposing me because, like, I'm either my communication is poor or maybe, like, my fundamentals are, are just, like, not what they should be in certain areas, then you're going to get exposed for it and you see exactly what you need to do to uh, improve. So yeah. practice, if you can practice up as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, like just this past weekend, uh, a couple of the Titans players went up to outlaw. We got a great opportunity to play you guys and, yeah, uh, a great, great time, man. You guys are, you guys have gotten really good, man. It's, it's, uh, I loved whenever everything was happening with grit and us, um, the mm-hmm. Titans, because like it was, it was great watching, the progress. And that's one thing that bothers me, you know, like X factor was definitely a home of mine, um, you know, and, and now it is outlaw. Uh, like it's a community, right? Like a lot of you, like you guys are my friends and uh, it, it's, it sucks not seeing everybody, you know, consistently. And it's great going out there. Um, it's just, it's tough because, you know, you got family, you know, and you don't always get to see family. You don't always get to see how you guys are doing. And, uh, I like seeing, you know, at least the Austin Titans, you know, the Texas Titans, but the Austin guys I like seeing you guys show up because, uh, hell, a lot of those guys are like, you know, throwback to Austin Weird. I mean, yeah. I remember those motherfuckers, dude. And Austin Weird was dope, man. Some cool ass dudes, you know, and uh, it's nice seeing them progress, you know. Uh, Ryan and Josh, man, dudes are cold blooded. Oh, yeah, cold-blooded. they still are. Still are, yeah. man. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we, um, so that's part of why I like to do this podcast too, is just to help connect, uh, different parts of Texas all together. Like, um, I feel like, you know, not a lot of people would know what's happening in the Valley is like who, like sure. The Valley guys occasionally they'll like right before a USXBL or whatever, they'll travel up to X factor or whatever, uh, get some scrimmages in, but otherwise not a lot of people know what's going on there. Um, Texas demolition is going to look really strong this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, but, we had a full on scrimmage. Like we reserved the field and everything. We, we shot 30 cases against those guys a couple of weeks ago. Um, was it? it was great, great practice. Uh, I should, I should share with you some of the, the footage that we got off of that. Cause it was a really good yeah. learning opportunity for us. Um, Ooh. and just being able to connect like different parts of the scene to each other. Like it's, it's not too often, like it, it's a little bit easier for you and me. Cause like Austin and San Antonio, like the drive between out, like going from outlaw to X factor is only 90 minutes. That's not that big of a drive in the grand scheme of things. When you're like Austin to Houston is like three, four hours, depending on if you're going to legends or you're going to zone or to wasteland now. Um, yeah. And then going up to fit from Austin, which, you know, several guys have done that weekly journey is four or five hours in some cases. Uh, so what do you think? what do you think of wasteland? I have not been there yet. Uh, I'm going to get the opportunity to go at the beginning of March. So, um, I know a couple of like every, I know the, the HTPS tournament this past weekend was held there. So uh, I would love to hear some opinions of the field because I've definitely seen great things. Plus, they have beer on tap there. So, uh, yeah, we got to make a trip. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really cool. Uh, we we've been talking to uh, I've been talking to Alex about that Martinez for a while about just you know trying to uh, 
set up a bar or something. And I guess <laughs> it's just insurance or what, but uh, leave it to Houston. I think you're able to get like daiquiris to go back in the day. They might still do it, I guess. Mm. I well, yeah. Well, the, the whole reason they have the, the beer on tap there is because the people that own the field own a brewery in Houston. It's oh. the it's the Megaton Brewery. The owners of that own the field, so huh. I I think you know part of the the beer. And granted, this is all just like you know speculation, but I think part of like the beer that they have on tap is stuff from their brewery that they're serving. So Ooh, it's like a marketing ex- expense. I mean, yeah, but it's like going back to hey, set up your little smoke shop van over at the NXL. You know, you got a captive audience right there. You've got you got your prime targets. Oh yeah, yeah. No, see, the thing is, is, is you need to have like a consumption lounge. That's where like you just pay people to be there and breathe air. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's all they're doing for sure. So, uh, after your time on SDK, the first part of this past season. Uh, you make your way back to Notorious for uh, starting with Sacramento. And mm-hmm. I thought y- Sacramento and Chicago were, uh, those were two events that I was able to watch you play. I didn't get to watch so much a cup just because, you know, we were busy playing the whole time as well, but you yeah. played, you played phenomenally for them up the center in Sacramento and in Chicago. And you ended up uh, staying on the roster for the remainder of the season. So tell me about like, what was that? like making the move back the move back was great um it was it was relieving uh it's it, it it's nice to be home you know um like the move to grit uh came because a lot of the fsu guys had left and went to grit um by the time i had moved back from oregon and fsu was kind of no more um so I joined Grit, go play with your friends, uh, you know, and then this happened and it was just kind of, you know, uh, trying to find a, an opportunity to come back um, organically. And that's uh, that's what it felt like. It was very organic. Um, Ryan Gray gave me a call and we had a long talk and uh, he wanted to make sure that, you know, no bullshit. Um, he wanted to know what was going on with uh, with everything. You know, and uh, what his expectations are and what we're trying to do. And, um, you know, I was with it. Uh, Sacramento, I I felt rusty. Um, hadn't played a paintball tournament in a while. Uh, I know you don't grow cannabis or anything, but uh, I was I was doing depths, white depths, uh, just like a, like manually pulling a, a greenhouse tarp um, to like flower my, my hemp. And uh, I was doing that, like I'd wake up at four in the morning and, and uh, close the tarps. And the idea is you're extending uh, darkness too, because some of these plants are photo period dependent or they, they flower based on the amount of uh, sunlight or darkness, technically darkness they receive. Um, so anyways, I'm like, I'm doing that stuff. I'm missing practices because I don't get done working till like 10 a.m., which is when I have to open everything up, but it takes me an hour to do it. So 11 a.m. By the time I get to practice, it's like noon. Um, so I'm missing practice consistently. Uh, I'm like caught up with this. So I haven't been able to go to the gym that much. Um, it was just a lot of work and I felt slow. I felt rusty. Um, you know, it. 
I had a couple moments, you know, but it wasn't the best paintball I think I played. Um, you know, I, I made some mistakes, uh, just not crawling, you know, when I, when I should have crawled a little stuff, uh, just sloppiness, you know, and, um, that's fine. Uh, unfortunately we very last point, I think we were playing uh Phoenix rising. Um, I get pulled off break because, uh, I didn't either, either I ran out of bounds or I didn't make enough forward progress on the baseline. Uh, the problem was, is that there's no like baseline that you can see. Mm -hmm. So whatever. And it shouldn't have happened at an overtime point, you know, refs maybe shouldn't have influenced the game that much. I also taking responsibility as a player. I need to know where the fucking baseline is. I'll never make that mistake again. Uh, we don't play for the constellation match against blast camp. And because blast camp was like higher seating or something going into it. Uh, they take the third, we take the fourth. Um, Chicago was a grinder. Uh, we do the hurricane stuff. Um, they can play it fit. Uh, the center, man. Um, I played the center really well because it was uh, if this, then that type of center. There were certain moves that were like, again, um, there's no point in making this spot because if I make it and somebody sees me, then the opposition isn't going to get into this bunker. So it kind of, you lose the tactical advantage of getting there when somebody else is somewhere because, um, well, shit, I'll just break it down. Uh, so there's like at this Dorito three, whenever you go to the Chicago layout, there's like the second brick on the, uh, kind of in the 50, whenever you can creep up to that, you're able to see, uh, this, like the Dorito three or something when nobody's there contesting him on the inside, the Dorito three tends to play really big and sloppy when he's playing on the tapes. It gives you a really good opportunity to shoot him. The problem is, is he's not going to do that unless he thinks he has the ability to do that. You have to let him get there. Let him think nobody's there. I can play big and sloppy. Wait for the call. Hey, Dorito three. Okay. Let me go here. Let me shoot this guy. Great. Now there's two big old wedges. So the first one you check off is the one right around the corner. Well, if he's not there, he's right in front of you. Go dunk him. Um, it was very if this, then that. And that's what I had to realize. And that's how a lot of these fields are starting to play is like, there's moves that you can make, but unless you have a reason for making the move, don't make it. Like give yourself a chance to do things while the game develops, but also, don't get yourself into a position where you can't retreat. Mm -hmm. um, that was a, a big one. You know, there's like, there's points where you can only run through so far. Um, but Chicago worked out, man. Uh, I was hitting all my shots on, on, on break. Uh, we were shooting their snake eye. Um, doesn't matter who we were. Uh, that little, I don't know, jigsaw puzzle, whatever thing in the center like I, i'm a short guy you know i can get lost really easily in there my first point in chicago i wanted two on one uh it just it just happened to be set up for a, a good event for me you know and, and they're not all like that um going into world cup was uh <laughs> i kind of screwed myself um so we go into our uh our first practice against the hurricanes uh, new orleans hurricanes 
we go over there and uh you know it's me and british playing the center and um i go in one point and uh i end up getting like a five pack because like i, I come around I, sh I shoot uh their center guy he just has his cut down um anyways go shoot a bunch of people get the five pack playing the center outstanding in my opinion like doing work but it gets to a point where it's, like, okay, it's just bloody knuckles at a certain point um you know and i thought i had the center really good i try to evolve that you know how can i get better that's when i go on the all right let me study nick nick laval let me see how he's playing it and i realize how he's playing that that wall and uh i try to do it when we play fit and diesel the following weekend and uh i realize that like i can't see over the brick <laughs> and, and i can't aim well so i love you mark friends and i don't mean to make funny but <laughs> uh did you friends it i fucking friends <laughs> like this straight up i get shot in the hopper and people see me and I, I want to say that's the moment where where our coach Ryan Gray pulls me from the center. Because after that, man, it was like I got pulled off the center. And then uh, Paul uh, and, and British take over the center. I'm just like, fuck, man. I shouldn't have done that. Because like, I was I like overextended, literally. I uh, And that, that, like, you know, in retrospect, who cares? Like, they're probably the better ones to play the center because they could shoot over it. I can't. So, like, I like sure I'm playing it good, but if I can't play like thirty percent, forty, fifty percent of the bunker, uh, I'm not the guy to play it. You know, and that's always been the knock against like short people playing the three. It's like, dude, there's certain shots that like I I just can't hit. Mm -hmm. um, I've done all this stuff, man. I've loosened my barrel. I've turned my velocity down. I've done like crazy stuff to just try to get drop shots. Um, you know, there's just certain things you can and can't do. And uh, that was it, man. And so uh, it, it was a very, very interesting kind of extension into those two events and then World Cup. But I think it was the right move. You know, uh, coach did what he thought was best and it was best and he fucking won. So, uh, yeah, it's worthwhile. For sure. Uh, and that, that's kind of getting into my next question as well. So after like the fourth place and the second place in Sacramento and then in Chicago, you guys won in the finals at cup over fit to, to win the series. So, uh, you told me already like what that payout felt like in that moment with Renee as well. But like, tell me like, where, was there anything extra that you guys were doing to prepare for this event? It was all off field stuff. Like, uh, like just camaraderie type of things, you know, um, one thing that I did, so we go to new Orleans, uh, and like on the drive in, it's like late and we end up stopping at this gas station and, uh, world cup of soccer, right. And they have these, uh, uh, shout out to Josh. They got these, uh, these crunchy Cheetos, <laughs> they got these crunchy Cheetos and they got these hot fries and stuff. And um, they have these World Cup, like, hot fries. And it, it's gold. Like, man, gold World Cup Cheetos. Like, you got to buy a bag. So uh, we got a bag. And uh, 
made everybody eat one. It's like, hey, man, if you want to win a World Cup, you got to eat a Cheeto. If you want to win a World Cup, you got to eat a Cheeto. We made everybody do it. It was just that sort of like psychological ingrainment. Uh, you know, maybe I'm brainwashing my teeth. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, maybe I do. But uh, it, it was stuff like that, man. Um, you know, but a lot of it also came down to like, making sure we maintained the momentum that we had after Chicago. Um, you know, there were, there were some moments where we probably could have won in Chicago uh, that other players have told us about other spectators. Um, but we were also missing Michael and Archie Barnes. So like we were rumored to have a shitty team going in, not a shitty team, but like uh, just not our strong team. And um, I think that pushed us even more, you know, because it like to doubt the other seven of us, eight, six of us, whatever it was, to doubt the rest of us because we didn't have two guys like, like the audacity, the disrespect, like we think we're like, we haven't been grinding here this whole time. Like, like, you know. Like, you've been grinding, baby. Been grinding. <laughs> He's been waiting He's been, for this one. <laughs> been grinding. So, yeah, you're fucking grinding out here. Uh, you know, it's and it's all like an individual thing. Um, you know, everybody put in as much work as they could, and uh, you know, we like we work together as a team. Um, you know, but a, a lot of the off-field stuff, man, it, it really, like, when you got friends or people you consider your friends, you know, you tend to fight for them a little bit more. Um, you tend to, to work harder and um, hold people more accountable, you know, and a lot of it was, like, having respect for the sacrifices that uh, everybody was making. Um, you know, like, not everybody could come to two practices a weekend. Not everybody could come to every practice every weekend. And so it became a thing of like, well, so-and-so can't come to practice and so-and-so isn't putting in work to being like, hey, somebody's sacrificing so much to the point where like, dude, they can't make practice. And so when they do make practice, it means a lot to them and it should mean a lot to us. So let's be grateful and like, let's, let's, let's not be negative. Um, it became a lot of that, man. Like we got to come together and, uh, you know, probably a little magic too. Probably a little bit of magic. Like there was an opportunity to tell a great story. So like, why not us? Why can't we be the ones to tell the story? Um, you know, this this world is is full of underdogs, and I think we believed in ourselves. Uh, obviously, far more than anybody believed in us. We weren't even in the conversation. You know, uh, people. There wasn't even discussion. Like. Us taking second place in Chicago was like nobody cared. People still talked about fit. Mm -hmm. They weren't even on the finals field, but they still talked about them. The only thing that mattered to them was the boss can. Cool. Yeah. Great. They won at their hometown. Then what happened? You know, it was just a, a consistent kind of just an acknowledgement that, that maybe pushed us. Maybe, I mean, Man, uh, Texans in general are known for like being hard workers and, um, we just don't give up in general. Like we fight for everything. Uh, shit. 
Remember the Alamo. You know, it's 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 in us. Come and take it. It's on the flag. Uh, we just we fucking worked, man. And I think most importantly, we believed that it was possible. Um, we knew that there's only so much we could do, right? And that if things didn't go our way, it wasn't because of us. It was because other people messed up. But in order for us to succeed, we had to do what we had to do. And so we just did that. Um, we didn't worry about anybody else or what they were doing. We just focused on us and tried to win our games. And you know what? We screwed up really badly in our first one. And there's a whole thing where Coach, uh, mm-hmm. coach oh, killed yeah. us. And, um, man, it made for good content. But uh, It did. <laughs> It was a good time. Oh, yeah. Uh, Just with the camaraderie thing, with the Cheeto story, I know, like, hey, first first day of Cup got canceled because of the hurricane. And so, like, everybody was kind of holed up with each other trying to wait out the storm so we could go play the next day. Uh, That, I I know, at least for the Titans, like, we we made good use of that time, getting some some bonding time in together. And I think it uh, really helped carry us all the way through to our, you know, to getting fourth you know, sending 91 other teams home, uh, which you guys did incredible. Like for what you did with the, the amount of teams, like it doesn't even matter like the division. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that can happen and you guys were consistent and you consistently won. And it's dude, that's impressive. Like it's amazing how difficult it is to win like in lower divisions because it's, it seems like there's just just chaos and you have to be calm within the chaos because it's everywhere, everywhere, man. Yeah, man. I mean, we went through six rounds of playoffs. We played uh, and with the format, you know, yeah. And with like the format change, they changed it for, for division four. They changed it to race to four instead of mercy for because of, you know, the scheduling, they had to make them all fit in. Somehow we played three prelim games on Friday. One, one, our last prelim game Saturday morning started at six forty-five AM. And then we had to play four rounds of playoffs that day. So, or no, three rounds of playoffs. It was three, ga- three games on Friday, the last prelim game and then three rounds of playoffs on Saturday and then quarter semis and finals on Sunday. So 10 matches that we have to slog through, which is, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a grind for sure. Uh, but you know, shout out to everybody that made that happen. I mean, I, I know every, like there's a lot of, and hopefully a lot of that anger and like resentment has died down now, but you know, it's not like anybody wanted things to work out like that. Nobody mm-hmm. hoped it would work out like that. And it's, it is unfortunate. And, and I don't think there's a good answer for it. You know, like who plays, you know, at 9 PM and who doesn't play at 9 PM? I don't think there's a good answer. It's, you know, the NXL obviously did what they thought was best. And, you know, I'm grateful that you guys were able to deal with stuff like that. But to be honest, I'd like to think that a lot of it is because of the local events, like the USXBLs, man, like, you play more more games, and probably in Bunkerfest as well. Like you play more games in uh, a tournament in one day than you would ever in the NXL, right? And it's just that, like, man, uh, 
that's like training. Like you should be able to outwork everybody at a national event because of the amount of paintball that you play at the local events here. And it's just the system. It's just the way that it's built. But uh, man, like I I'm glad you guys reached that level of success. Are y'all going to be doing uh, D3 nationally this year? Uh, well, we're all D3 uh, for sure. Um, so we're doing the full Bunker Fest series. Uh, we're going nice. to be doing the uh, Bunker Fest Denver 7-man um and then we're doing nxl round rock for sure and then mm. beyond that i don't know if we're doing world cup or not that's a long ways away from now so yeah, yeah. uh and then bunker. so uh, i think we're also doing the us xbls that are out of x factor as well nice nice so pretty pretty full schedule for sure yeah good, um good deal. so yeah uh now looking to the uh future for you guys uh you're now, hey, you're the newest pro team in the NXL, which, I mean, you you made it there, but the work starts now in a lot of ways because now you're going up against guys that have been there for 20-plus years, uh, and you've already made a move by picking up Anthony Bowles, who previously played for X-Factor. So mm -hmm. what are what are some of the other things that Notorious is doing right now to prepare for this upcoming season in pro, either on or off the field? Well, the good thing is that uh, there are literally decades of a uh, film on our competition, right? Like we have so much film on our opponents. Thankfully, you know to. Ghost Wars and PB Access and, uh, you know, all everything else. Um, I love watching film. Uh, to me, it, it, it's, I don't know. I, I can't have film in the background because I want to watch it. Mm -hmm. So, um, like, I, I just enjoy watching Able. But, um, you know, that's just more of, like, studying what people do and kind of like, okay, like, we're going to be playing these same guys until we stop playing table. We're not playing anybody else except the new guys that come up. So now we're into learning tendencies, um, you know, uh, rhythms, um, learning, you know, just uh, manners in which people get used. Um, other than that, for us, you know, it's like we can't control what they do. Uh, so it's still on us. It's still on us to prepare, but even further. Um, you know, everybody's going to have to do 10% more. Uh, you know, we had eight guys going into uh, Sunshine State Major. Eight guys. Uh, to make 100% improvement, we do 12.5% each. Mm -hmm. So if we can do a little bit, if everybody can do 12.5% more, that's 100% improvement. I don't think 12.5% is much to ask. Um just an opinion, but uh, I know that's not realistic. You know, uh, people can give what they can, and that's fine. Um, at this level, uh, I think it's definitely more about communication and getting all the information um, to the right people at the right time. Uh, ideally, as, uh, as fast as possible. Um, you know, it seems like breakdown of communication usually leads to a loss. And so if we can keep that high, then, I mean, that alone should improve our uh, our capacity for winning. I mean, when we've played a lot of these people, it's not that they're better than you. 
I mean, at the some level, sure. But, you know, I think there's a certain point where it's like, okay, you can shoot everybody else. Sure, someone's got a really good snapshot, but, uh, mm. you know, you're still just as shootable. Um, it's just how you get shot and some of the different things that people do and don't do. Uh, now it's more, you know, you know that you're playing players that are as smart as you, if not smarter. So how do you outsmart that smartness? How do you step that up? How do you, that meta everybody talks about? Um, it's definitely a different approach, you know, and uh, you have to just consistently f- focus on yourself. Um, I think that's the best thing that you can do for your team. Uh, you know, focus on what you can change. And that really comes back to identifying your deficit, identifying um, areas that you need improvements. Um we didn't really talk about uh, plants that much, so I'll just put this in real quick. Um, when you're cultivating cannabis, uh, a lot of times what will happen is you'll add too much of something. And too much of something locks out other things to the point where you start seeing um, all kinds of deficiencies, which uh, show themselves in different manners. And so if you don't know what happened prior, you'll just look at this and be like, this is a calcium deficiency or this is this deficiency, or this is a whatever. Um, Instead of trying to go back and kind of, uh, you know, reverse engineer the issue. And I think that's one of the things that uh, players really have to focus on now is why are you successful? So a lot of the ones in our game, uh, and I just mean this in general, are successful because of their athleticism. Mm -hmm. They get into spots and then they're really good. Well, Uh, Or they get shots and they kill people and then, you know, whatever. Big games, very explosive, exciting to see. Except at the pro level, these guys have been doing this for the last 10, 15 years. So, sure, they're explosive, but now you got, you know, snake one guys or Dorito one guys or whatever, the gunfight, as well as everybody else. And so you have to kind of figure out, like, man, uh, how can you improve what you're already good at? For me, like as a shooter, I know I have to shoot at the fastest players in the world now. That means I got to be even faster. But more importantly, it's probably like maybe I have to give up one of my shots in order to make sure that I hit this other person. Um, It means that like there's no dicking around. You can't try stuff. But also that, you know, my first ball has to be even more accurate than it was before. Uh, A lot of it is definitely going to be just the thinking, man. Um, it's, it's, It's going to be a lot of thinking, but. Hopefully we do a lot more uh, two pod and the hopper stuff. I know we've got some good practices coming up. Um, Anthony's going to be an interesting addition. Uh, he was extremely successful, uh, not only with FSU, uh, uh, with X Factor on both sides of the field. Uh, he did really well with uh, Trade My Gun. Um, I know he's taken a uh, sabbatical for a little bit. And, uh, you know, I know things with X Factor was a little rocky whenever that happened. Um, you know, but if he, uh, if he wants to shine and, uh, he's ready to really get back in the sport, like we got the platform to do it, you know, and, uh, it's a good group of guys, um, all local. He lives in Austin also, so it should be a good time. Um, otherwise, man, I, I think it, at this point, you know, we're trying to, uh, really establish like the business of FSU, uh, you know, the business of AustinNotorious.com, like having a way to, fund a program that can afford to bring players up and afford to keep this information at a 
a readily accessible uh, like area arena. Uh, it's not really kind of uh, thought of, you know, but I've been in the sport for a while. Um, I know how hard it was for me to just learn. So actually one of your, uh, your, your new pickups, Taylor resume, mm-hmm. he's played with grit. I, I told you this at practice, like listening to him talk was one of the things that really changed my perspective on uh, how to dissect a point. And after hearing it, I realized, Oh, I haven't been asking the right questions, not only in general, but even myself, I just didn't know how to break a point down. I just needed to hear it once. And so, um, that's what it was. I'll actually give shout out to uh, Meter Nunez. Um, he helped us. Uh, he actually answered a question of mine when I was playing on Grit about playing the center in um, the Chicago 2021 20, uh, when we took fourth. And because of that help, it just made a gear click. I, just one little thing I can understand. And so because of that, it's like, oh, now all of a sudden that go from D to so um just and, and to be honest, like without without like Alex Martinez being able to fund the program, to have meter there, to have him be able to help me, like that information would have died. And we probably, you know, I'm sure our guys would have gone, you know, been successful, but I wouldn't have been successful. Mm. hypothetically so um that's one of the things that we're trying to do man we're really trying to build a program and, and build something where uh you know we can we can build our youth we can build our lower divisions and, and keep things in a sustainable fashion you know we're trying to coach our guys we're trying to teach them early um and just have them skip some of the struggle you know if you want to struggle that's fine some people like to struggle but uh you know we we want to build something that'll last and, and act as like a pillar for Texas paintball uh, just in general. I mean, FSU is big in South and Central Texas. You know, it's not the only program by any means, but uh, it's one that I've personally found success in. And I know a lot of the best players um, in Texas have found some success with them. So uh, yeah, man, we're doing what we can. For sure. Um, I think that all of these things that, I mean, like I've seen it firsthand, like y'all are definitely working hard and uh, working at, and like trying to approach it in a smart way uh, to get all of these improvements. Um, and granted, like, it's not like a, Hey, you're, if you get last at this first event, you're getting relegated. Like, yeah. no, you've got, you've got a full season uh, ahead of you of growth just to like, Hey, like, yes, it, someone does get relegated at the end of the year. But at the same time, like you've got a lot of time for improvement and growth and looking like I want to talk about the bracket that y'all are in for this first event real quick, because the NXL uh, released it a few days ago. And uh, while I'm pulling this up, everybody in the chat, um, we're getting to the end of our show. So if you have something you want to ask Jared, go ahead and get your questions in the chat. Now I'll go, I'll scroll back through the chat um, in a little bit. So uh y'all's bracket y'all are in group c for this first event you've got edmonton impact the brooklyn bears the ml kings and columbus level that looks like can you know considering all of the roster moves and things that have happened with all of those other teams i mean the brooklyn bears were seattle thunder and they've lost most of their seattle thunder players except for gj sakaguchi 
um, and picked up a whole bunch of divisional players from a bunch of or a bunch of like semi pro players from a bunch of different semi pro teams like the Killers, Carolina Crisis, um, and then you go to the ML Kings. They just lost all of their best players. Uh, yeah. And then you know, same thing with Columbus Level. They've lost, I think, two pretty key players on their roster have taken a step back for this season. I might be confusing them with NRG, but I'm pretty sure it was level. Um, and suddenly, you know, you're, you may be the tier five team in your bracket, but that's looking like a very doable two and two or possibly even three and one. I mean, and Edmonton impact is Edmonton impact, but um, with the rest of those teams, that's looking like a very, very like accomplishable goal right there you know granted it there's there's a lot for your first pro event but it's yeah you know you've got a i i would say like favorable given those like for a tier five team that i'd say that's a pretty fair and favorable draw that you've gotten so what are your thoughts on you know going into this um it's it's you know arguably the best bracket we could have gotten mm-hmm. uh so that's useful. Um, impact is impact. Uh, we're still us, though. You know, um, it it really doesn't matter who we play. Uh, we're gonna play them as as well as we can. Um, you know, we've we've got looks against X Factor. We've got looks against Diesel. Um, you know, we we weren't able to mix in uh, as much with Thunder uh at the the last world cup practice um you know some of our guys have played the ml kings like they've ran against revo uh it, it's not like we don't have experience playing high-end bros um we do uh there's definitely definitely some changes that we need to make some tweaks that we're making um i can only hope that our guys are going to do it um but it really just comes down to not making mistakes and really capitalizing on stuff. Uh, I like, I used to be intimidated by pros. I used to be definitely ain't anymore, but, uh, it's, it's only until you realize like their mortality, like mm-hmm. pros are superheroes. They're not immortal. Like, they are mortal. They can't be killed. And uh, once you start getting that little cocky smirk, you know, you're like, hey, you're good, but you ain't that good. You know, and then more importantly, then you got to recognize and like appreciate like you're good too. Like it's, it's like, cool, you've joined them. But uh, it's because you've earned the right to be there. Um, and it's funny. So like Mark Johnson, actually, and I keep bringing him up because he's been a, a factor in um, the last year for me and just for whatever reason, um, he told me, he like congratulated me on, uh, you know, making pro at, at world cup and like, you know, your, your first 10,000 hours, uh, like congrats, you made it. Um, but to stay here is another 10,000 hours. And, uh, that's true too. Um, the best of the best of the best are playing in this division. Uh, I'm sure we will play them at some point this year. And um, 
you know, it doesn't mean that our goal isn't still like do the unthinkable and win a win a pro event our first year. Uh, why not us? Why why can't we do it? Mm-hmm. You know, we won in D two, we won in D one. You think the story's done writing itself? There's there's another chapter. Thus, winning a pro event, like why not? You know, it, it's the people that don't think that it's possible show that it's even more possible uh, because for that much negativity, for that much opposition to exist, you know, it shows that like the other side has to exist. Things, things have to have potential. Um, it's going to be on us to just do what we can, but obviously it's on all the other teams to mess it up. The reality of them messing up probably slim, you know, so we can only do as much as we're capable of doing. Um, and, and I'd like to think that we're mature enough to, uh, to realize that, but I know my guys, we're not mature at all. Like <laughs> there's a video standing a couch up to climb up to a window to get a banana peel down at world cup. Like we're not mature, but we're resourceful. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I, I, I think we'll do okay. Uh, the goal is always, you know, when the first point win the first match, um, make Sunday. And uh, I think we're going to do all of those. I think we're going to win the first point. I think we're going to win the first match, and we're going to make Sunday. Um, beyond that, uh, who knows? You know, um, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, you know. And, uh, you know, hopefully everybody that roots for underdogs uh, is rooting for us too, you know. Like, I, I know it's tough and, like, Ideally, our biggest fans should be our, our Texas homies, but that's not the case. Uh, usually, or ever, for most teams, you're usually seen as like the competition or, mm-hmm. you know, so-and-so doesn't like so-and-so on the team, so fuck everybody. Um, but that's okay, you know. Uh, the whole goal is, and, and not goal, but the statement, right, is FSU or not. Um, you're either with us, with us or you're not, and uh, that's all right because you know we we want uh, we want all of it. You know the fans, the haters. Uh, it's all it's all good. It's all good. It's all love, man. It's just you know love to hate or love to love. It's all love for sure. Uh, we'll I'll be definitely rooting for you guys. A lot of you guys are really close friends of mine uh, and just been incredibly proud of you guys for this past season and looking forward to rooting for you on the webcast for sure. Even though I'm currently, my Jersey is a, is it's not an FSU. So I guess I'm a not, but, uh, man, you're, you're (laughs) like, I was there when you guys first started, you know, the Titans. I'm grateful to to have been there at the, at the beginning, at the manifestation of the idea, you know, and uh, the implementation of it, like, uh, you guys are, are a staple of Texas as, as much as anybody, you know, and, uh, like, me, I'm I'm a fan of paintball. I'm a fan of Texas paintball. So, I'm, uh, it's open arms for me, man. I always give you guys a hug. Anyway. For sure, man. And hopefully we'll, uh, you know. Come a couple of years time from now, we'll be up there uh, competing against you, talking about how we drew each other in the pro bracket, you know, maybe one day. Well, why not us, right? It'll happen. It's going to be something. For sure. 
All right. So quick questions from the chat. I'm going to scroll through real quick. Um, cool. So we already asked the, the question about the Cheeto earlier on. Um, let's see. Uh, see, Lee Davis says Mox Nix. Jesus, I haven't heard that name in a bazillion years. Um, <laughs> Fun thing is that the, the name literally means nothing. <laughs> like that's what Mox Nix means. It means mm. nothing. I love it. Uh, so this question from Isari 10, uh, what would you suggest for lower divisions to focus on at practices? I know we already kind of talked about that a lot. Uh, just like focusing on the fundamentals and, um, I think the, the fundamentals is, is a good place individually. Uh, as a team though, I think the biggest thing is, is, uh, communication, right? Like people don't do things if they have all the information, if you know, somebody's here, you're probably not going to go somewhere. You know, uh, you're not going to be baited, but more importantly, knowing what you don't know. Um, you know, if, if nobody broke wide, then they're probably in the center, mm-hmm. you know, little pieces of information like that are big. Um, and I think practicing communication, uh, and just like knowing what's going on. Um, that's the first step, you know, uh, understanding your environment. Like, yeah, you got to play paintball, but excuse me. Um, it really comes down to just knowing what's going on and making sure the right person knows what's going on. Sometimes, you know, the, the information isn't necessary for everybody. Sometimes it's just, you got to get the information to the person who could theoretically be killed by somebody so if somebody gets into the 50 Dorito, great. Everybody needs to know. But if he's in the Dorito 2 and there's like a, a blind shot from the Dorito 2 into the, I don't know, the the snake corner um, that everybody knows about, like that's probably something he needs to know about. Um, or, you know, somebody gets into the snake and if they back, if they get to the snake 2, but if they back off the snake 2 a couple shots, you know, a couple feet, they got this little sliver, like just <laughs> – Getting information to everybody is it's still the biggest issue, even at the pro level. So I think it's got to be the first thing that you focus on it talking, um, but not only talking, listening and listening with intent, because there's a lot of things going on, you know, and so. Well, I think we lost your audio, Jared. You know, let's reset this real quick. Uh, no, go ahead and disconnect and reconnect real quick. I think that usually fixes it. All right, there we go. Good? Yep. Cool. Um, like lear- learning learning how to listen um, and, and, and picking out the right stuff. Uh, but like the codes, the codes are a big one uh, because they – they give a bunch of information um, with a really, uh, really, I guess, fast um, or improved efficiency, I should say. Uh, having the right codes is is everything. Um, I was just listening to, was it the Play the Game podcast today with Harrison Fry, and he was talking about how they started incorporating some of their 10-man calls into their five-man stuff. Um, and that was impressive. You know, I, I, I'd like to know more about that, but 
Um, communication is what it comes down to. It all comes down to communication. If you imagine this is like a chessboard, uh, and you or a checkers board or whatever game you play, it doesn't matter. If you're looking down, you have all the information. The problem is, is you're not looking down. Uh, you inhabit one of those pieces. So you need to try and get all the information, all the pieces. One of the things that we figured out though, is like, sometimes, uh, somebody can't hear you because you're yelling into a bunker or, um, somebody else is shooting your bunker. So the sound of the bunker being pounded conflicts with your voice projecting, which conflicts with somebody else yelling. So it's chaotic. Also a fun tip. If you don't want somebody to, to like say your position or anything like that, like you can just shoot their bunker quite a bit, create a lot of noise. It makes it hard for them to hear, but also their voice to carry. Um, don't do that. But if you have the opportunity do it, um, but yeah, I, I think communication, it, that's the one thing, man. And, and I don't really know how you practice it except for running low body situations. Do like three on threes, make it easy. You know, you, you only have one person to talk to or two people to talk to and that's it. Start there. Um, and then go to like four on fours or four on threes. Uh, make it so that it's kind of chaotic. Like you're, you're increasing the amount of, uh, of, of static or just stuff going on, but you're still accomplishing a goal within a finite amount of people. Um, it's, it's kind of tough, but, uh, again, moving back to the very first thing that I said, in order for you to get a lot of reps and a lot of practice, you got to make sure you're not shooting a lot of paint. Otherwise, your your budget goes down. So two pods and a hopper. Um, I'm a fan of it. I'm going to say it un unless we're playing like a layout or something or playing like a really good team. But uh, two pods and a hopper, practice your communication, let the game progress, reset, do it again. For sure. I think my uh, drill or a drill that I, I know of that I really like for communication is actually um, a little bit more focused around closing. Uh, but mm. to be able to close is, um, you know, you have to have communication there. So uh, breaking it down and it's, it's like most simple form. What we do is a two V one drill. Uh, but the, the two, they start in opposite corner. So snake corner and Dorito corner. And then the one gets to pick uh, what bunker that they start in. The two mm. have to, uh, and the two don't know like where the one starts. The two have to figure out where they are, shoot that person, and then run and go hit the buzzer within 30 seconds. Mm. So we, we've dabbled with um, like playing telephone potentially. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the idea would be to give one player a phrase, something weird, you know, uh, turtles love bubbles. And then you take that phrase and you start the game and you kick it out, you know, and uh, maybe at some point in the game, you ask a player, you know, what it is or ask the other, you ask them what it is, whatever it was. Um, I don't know. It, it's just something. Uh, but I mean, we've dabbled with a lot of things. Communication is, is tough because uh, you, you get sucked into the moment. And even then we've got great players that are, I mean, great, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Terrible communicators, just terrible. Um, but a lot of times it's just like, how do you communicate? And, and breaking that down is like, well, 
So one thing that I told, uh, we got a local team called Austin Oni um, out mm-hmm. of Outlaw. And uh, like they were having struggle. Uh, they were struggling to communicate. I was like, look, we're not a smart team. We're kind of dumb. So like we have to ask, like, what are you shooting at? Just like, I don't need to know what's out there. You tell me what you're shooting. At. Okay, let me ask the next thing. What are you shooting at? Why are y'all both shooting at the same person? You need to be shooting at somebody else. Okay, next. Why are you shooting at this? Who are you shooting at? Okay, stay that way. Who are you shooting at? Yeah. This guy's got a better angle on this gap. So you come do this, and now you're the free body. Um, it's it's just ask, you know, like asking questions. What are you doing? What are you doing? And if the biggest thing is when people don't answer. So I've I've come to things where or points where like I'm, I'm yelling at like one of my buddies. Actually, we played this three man um, recently with my buddy Zimmerman and another buddy of mine, Tiny and, and Paul. Uh, we took second in that one, but there was a point where I'm yelling at Zimmerman. And I'm like, Jeremy, Jeremy, what do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Uh, he's not answering. Not answering. Not answering. So I'm like, finally, I'm like, hey, Tiny, can you fucking ask Jeremy to tell me what he's got? So he's like, he. You kind of have to use people. Um, sometimes it's just your voice. By the time it reaches there, they can't hear you. And uh, the next step of that is like not getting mad when you're talking to somebody and they don't hear you. Like that happened to us um, between two players at our last practice with X Factor. One player's on the Drio side, yelling at one of our players who's in the snake, in the mm-hmm. snake. So there's a beam physically separating him from hearing anything on top of the entire distance of the field. The guy's like yelling at him, yelling at him, he can't hear, they get pissed off. Um, like small shoving match, just like whatever. Um, the thing about it, though, is like, we get caught up in so much in what we're doing that we don't ask questions about like, well, what was going on? Why didn't you hear me? Um, you know, was there anything that I could have done? One of those things is, and they talk about is changing your cadence, changing the way that you talk. So instead of saying Dorito one, it's Dorito one. Little stuff like that. So that it sounds abnormal so that you pick up on it mm-hmm. just enough. Like that's not normal. Um, a lot of the best communicators are known for stuff like that. They're known for not only their voices caring, but, uh, you know, oh, shit. Uh, I'm going to break into this. Do you remember when you and uh, and your wife came to Maiko to have sushi with Mel and I? Yeah. And we started talking about singing lessons, voice lessons. Yep. So cool thing. I'm glad we brought this up. One of the things that I've dabbled with the idea of is via communication. Um, I like when I communicate, I yell and I notice that like sometimes my voice gets sore, my throat gets sore, especially at a tournament and I can feel it. I'm like, man, like if I'm, you know, if I find myself doing some long points and I'm fucking yelling, uh, it starts hurting and then my, my voice starts going out. And, uh, I've always wondered about people, you know, when they sing and, um, they they use their diaphragm differently. They use their vocal cords differently. They even take care of their uh, vocal cords differently. And considering that communication is such a huge part of our sport, it's amazing that that part, it just doesn't get highlighted, discussed. It's 
kind of like a joint. It's mm-hmm. like something we just take for granted. And uh, it only matters until it matters, which is when we can't communicate. And then what do you do? Then it's like, okay, you know, all right, like ball four, kill one. Like we do that. We're trying to do that. But like you can't do that when you're in the snake, you know? So there's, right. there's, oh man, communication is a subject, man. For sure. I mean, it's guys all the way up to pro are still trying to figure out uh, how to improve that uh, on yeah. the voice thing. Uh, who knows? I might, I might be talking about it next week. We'll see. Dude, that um, would be cool. I, I know you've got some, uh, some insight into that. And uh, you know, I think that'd be an interesting topic because sure. it's just, I don't know anybody, not even in a podcast pro player, anything that's mentioned something of that sort. So it'd be cool. Yeah, I'll definitely uh let's see, I'll hit up uh I'll hit up Colt next week because Colt's actually gonna be taking over on the on the hosting duty, so we'll see what he comes up with. All right, Jared. So uh we are getting to the end of our show. This is the one that I ask everybody that comes on. Uh this is brought to us by Get That Shot, who's an NXL Pro Media uh photographer, videographer. Message him at getdat underscore shot on Facebook or Instagram for media coverage at either Bunkerfest or NXL. He's gonna be at the full series for both. Is there anybody in Texas, either teams, players, brands, projects, field owners, tournament series, anybody involved in paintball in Texas that deserves more recognition? Uh I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, as far as projects, for sure, AustinNotorious.com. New website launching. Uh, great jerseys done by Max Paintball. They're solid, solid jerseys. Um, as far as players, man, I really don't want to let them know. I don't want to shout them out because hopefully he doesn't get sniped. It's it's going to take a while. He's, he's working, but we got this kid. Um, He's, I don't know, I mean, like 14, 13. Kids balling, man. And he's and he's coming up and he's learning real fast. <sighs> oh, man. I'm only going to name him because I hope that he's watching. His name's Talon. Um, he's a beast, man. He's just a little kid. And, uh, you know, he's he's showing just a lot of uh, a lot of potential, a lot of natural skill. Um, you know, I, I, didn't want to give him a shout out because I I'm selfish and I want him to <laughs> stay with that. And I like watching him grow, man. I really do. And, uh, like just supportive, supportive dad, just like good stuff, you know, but, uh, he's working hard, man. And, um, there's a few kids actually, uh, out at outlaw that I'm, I'm really grateful because it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate when you don't see a lot of the youth coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do have, uh, not necessarily just there, but um, at Outlaw, there's a few more kids that I unfortunately don't know the names, uh, but I know that they're coming out. I think they're playing with uh, Evo or Nautic or something. Um, but yeah, man, Talon's, uh, he's, he's, he's learning. He's learning really quick and he's not scared. And that's, uh, that's one of those things. Um, he's not scared at all. Uh, also there's this other dude, Andrew, man. Um, he's not young. He's been in the mix with FSU for a while, but, uh, just this last weekend, he, his fundamentals looks really good. He showed some potential at the center that, uh, I hadn't seen in a while. And, um, you know, I'm happy to just watch his growth. Uh, and I told him last weekend, like, like the reason that I'm going to 
talk to him in particular is because I see some potential in you. And, uh, and, and when I say I see potential, right, it, it's not your natural athleticism. It's none of that. Mm-hmm. It's your ability to grow in a certain time frame. If, if I can notice like, so when you're losing weight, right. Um, you, like nobody notices you losing five pounds. They notice you lose 10, but like, what about the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine? They don't notice that. Um, that's kind of the same thing with paintball. It's like, people don't notice that little bit, but they notice when it all adds up. That's the thing is like, when you notice that it all adds up, that's like, it's all the work that you do behind closed doors, the stuff that you're working on that nobody gives you approval for. Um, all the days where you're just drilling by yourself and you're just like, dude, I wish people were out here, but nobody's out here but me. And so you're just doing it on your own. I did that for a long time. Uh, I still do it. And, it, 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 you know, it is what it is. But uh, that's like just recently, those those two people have, uh, you know, made watching paintball pretty good. Um, let's see. Let's see. Anything else? Anybody else? Um, man, and and shit, you in the pits, in the pits podcast, man. Like episode thirty four is huge. Like we said, like you're 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 doing things um, that need to be done, and then there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people that are learning through your medium, um, and, and it's it's you know it's because of people like you that uh. You know, information is being spread and, um, you know, people have information that's digestible, uh, even if it's just like a medium, you know, and you're saying like your the goal is to just put stories out there. Um, man, you're doing God's work, you know, and uh, that can't be understated. Appreciate that. And shout out to Talon. Shout out to the kids at Outlaw. Um, yeah. For sure. Keep it up, guys. Uh, I mean, hell, you got a pro player right here noticing so uh yeah keep yeah. it up guys so jared uh that brings us to the end of our show um which is brought to us by gel stewart's brand compete message him on facebook or instagram mention in the pits for 10 percent off of your order of soft goods so jared thank you so much for your time man uh it's been a long time coming i've been really looking forward to this uh so any last shout outs or things you'd like to say before we sign off um do you mind if I go over the shout outs real quick? Go right ahead, quick. man. Uh, I got to thank my mom for taking me to paintball practice, man, that, that first time and every other time till I could drive. Uh, like all the moms, all the parents, you guys are amazing. Thank you to my sister for being the first person that I shot with a paintball gun. Uh, thank you to my girlfriend, Mel. Um, thank you to Mark Franz uh, for being a hell of a team owner uh, and a hell of a dad for supporting young Marky. Uh, that's gray smoke support and white smoke, um, to the coaches, you know, our, uh, Ross Saunders, Tyler Spies, and, uh, Ryan Gray, Red Outlaw Payball, uh, all of our sponsors, Alamo Ammo, uh, .com, primetickets.com, uh, DLX, um, helps you with, uh, charging your gun on the way to practice. I love that about the team forties, um, Virtue, HydroFit, uh, Max Payball. Um, Soto bands at Soto bands. Uh, th- those are headbands that are made by our homie Sebi for uh, one of our fallen brothers, Diego Soto. Um, man, uh, everything else is whatever. Um, 
And most importantly, man, everybody from FSU that uh, that fought with me this last year. I know not everybody's uh, with us on the roster moving forward. Um, but shout out to everybody else. Marky, Ty, Paul, British, Keegan, B.Y., Michael, Archie, and uh, Renee. Like, um, I love you boys. We wouldn't be here without you guys. And uh, fuck, man, hopefully I did us justice. Thank you. Thank you, Jared, and everybody still tuning in. Thank you guys so much for watching. Be sure to go follow Jared. I know his uh, Instagram handle is a little bit tiny on screen, but that's at the underscore essential underscore experiment on Instagram. Uh, What other guests would you like to see on the show? Be sure to leave a comment down below while you're at it. Hit that subscribe button. The show goes live weekly here on youtube.com slash at in the pits paintball podcast and recordings are posted to YouTube, Amazon, Apple podcasts, and Spotify the next day. Shout out to my partners and sponsors, FU athletics, get that shot. Uh, one that we didn't mention earlier was paintball Kumite, which is Colt Roberts training regimen. Uh, he's going to be doing another class here pretty soon, I think. So uh, message him on Instagram. That's at paintball Kumite uh, and mention in the pits for a free one hour introductory class. Uh, so shout out to FA Athletics, get that shot, paintball commute, compete and hustle town paintball. We will see you guys next week for episode 35, where Colt Roberts is going to take over hosting duties and I'm going to be the one that y'all are listening to. So, uh, thank you guys. We'll see you then. Jared, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, sir.